Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the show. Before time, we're going to look at you so glad to have you. This is coming up on today's show. We're going to be joined by New Orleans Pelican scout and college basketball analyst Jared Sutton as we will get his thoughts on the players that will be entering this summer's NBA draft and also talk some college hoops in particular in the Big 12 Conference with Jared Williams coming up later on in the show. Also have Coach Bo's football fixtures in the bio, Connor Advisory Group, plus their town story story of the week as well coming up at the end of today's show. Top of the joins me right now and folks uh, you might be hearing a little bit of background noise of course but just to provide some context this week we are on the road again as the show is being brought to you this week from nashville tennessee as uh, i'm doing some business uh on the corporate side for studio soapbox this week representing at the uh, crs 2022 this country radio seminar trainings and some networking and attending some really cool country music shows over the next couple of days. So if you're in the national area, certainly uh, hit me up. We'd love to see you and uh, uh, hang out here in Nashville for the folks that uh, may be listening here on the Jones Group this week. But another place checked off the list where we've done this show from over the years, uh, just even over the last couple of weeks, we've been everywhere from Omaha to Tulsa to Daytona, and now Nashville. And Thomas Bridges joins me right now. Tom, I've lost track of how many places we've done this show from now. It just keeps on growing. And we got another one to add in uh, just a couple of weeks in Dallas, Texas. More on that in just a moment. Yeah, I mean, hell, we've done it from, you know, at this point, I, I, if I had a $5 bill for every time we've done it from a different place than Tulsa or, you know, where you've been or Omaha or Lawrence, then, uh, you know, we'd have enough money to go to Cancun this summer. <laughs> oh, maybe that's an idea. Maybe we do the show from Cancun, dude from the beach. I mean, wouldn't that be something? I mean, just don't crack your head this time. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, but I can guarantee that, that we'd have to put it through a, a slur machine because it would not, it wouldn't, it would be a quality show, but it wouldn't be quality sound. You know, when, People listen to this show and other podcasts. I know they have this on Apple, maybe some of the other podcast platforms too. There's the option of the speed that you can make the show, of how fast you listen to it, whether it's one speed, two speed, you know, one and a half, whatever. I can't go past one and a half. Two is just too fast for me. But 
with you, Tom, if we had you doing this show in Mexico with a couple drinks in, I think people might have to put the speed at two just to hear it at a normal rate. Yeah, that or on half speed, one of the one of the two. <laughs> it would uh, it would be long, drawn out words, or it'd be very quick, and you would you would almost have to speak Spanish to figure it out. Yeah, um, I think you get a good point there. But we just wrapped up our best week ever here on uh, the Jones Report and for our other studio soapbox show. Uh, one of them uh, that is uh, Let's Go Racing is we're live in Daytona. Uh, for a couple of days last week, had a lot of fun uh, with that trip. And Austin Sindrick ultimately comes away with the Daytona 500 championship, the rookie in just his eighth career start. And so that was really cool to see. And being Daytona Beach for a couple of days and the uh, presentation of the, the trophy. And uh, on Monday, I went over to a, a, a breakfast there, a, a breakfast of champions. No Wheaties were served at this and Cindric, as they were celebrating, they had him put his hands in his feet in concrete for a, like, walk of champions display and a few other things. Like, it was, it was a great race, great debut for the next-gen car. And, and I know it was unfortunate that uh, our guy, Dave Starr, uh, who we do the Let's Go Racing show with, he did not qualify for Daytona. Didn't quite make it. He was the first car out. But nonetheless, it was a uh, good time there in Daytona. And Tom, the scene in Daytona, I got to tell you, Daytona in itself is a vibe. I mean, this city was an electric factory over those last couple of days I was out there in Daytona Beach. I ran into everybody in Daytona. Uh, you know, Luke Holmes did a live concert at the racetrack, saw Emmett Smith, Charles Woodson, and you had a challenge for me, Tom. You wanted me to try to meet as many people as I could, and I didn't see MJ or Pitbull or Floyd Mayweather like I wanted to, but I did see you know, Charles Woodson and Emmett Smith. So did I, did I pass the smell test? Is that acceptable for me of, of, uh, of who I ran into I think you did. Uh, you know, me and Emmett Smith, you know, the the second greatest thing back of his time, um, next to Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders had his line. We'd be talking about a flip-flop. But, um, yeah, and you, you mentioned Charles Woodson. You, you already said you were on the hunt for him, and you got to meet him. Um, I, I think it's a dub. Okay. I will uh, take that victory. It was a good time, D. The bars down there, the nightlife. We're talking about this being a vibe, Tom. I mean, you're talking about the women in Daytona Beach. They literally get on the bar and just are just taking their tops off and all this. I mean, and I, I didn't go to any you know, any nude bars or anything like that. I was just going in for a drink, and I'm like, okay, uh, I guess we're uh, having quite the experience here. You were, in, you were in Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Making my parents proud, right? Hey, you got, you got to. And at least you got to experience it. Um, you know, it's. I, I feel like it's a, a refined Talladega. Yes. We got to get you out one of these days, Tom, 
to Daytona or Talladega, I feel like you would just embrace the redneck in you. I mean, hell, we, we chugged uh, um, Natty Lights in, in Kansas City. Can you imagine a, a Tom Todd duo, duo in uh, the likes of Talladega? Like, Talladega Boulevard, in its own right, is something else. I think I'm going to go to Talladega in, in April, and I'm in for a, an experience. I've never been to Talladega. I mean, I think it would be an experience. I mean, I, I think it would, it, you know, both Daytona and Talladega are their own experience, and not one more than the other necessarily. But if you want to go full redneck, go to Talladega. Right? Like Daytona. I mean, I can only, I can only imagine. Daytona is an interesting fact because one minute, Tom, I turn to my right and I see people in suits. You have the suits one direction. And then you turn to yeah, your the left. The suits aren't going to Talladega. Right. The suits are not showing up to Talladega. You turn to your left and you got somebody with no shirt on and the chest painted, you know, whatever, and saying, Race Dale, Race Dale. Comparably speaking, I would think the Talladega, there's no suits. It's all race hell praised it. Yeah, the only the only suits are like uh, you know, maybe a, a suit jacket made out of natural light, uh, 30 rack can boxes. Right. Which is, which is great. Which is oh, yeah. great. Um, sure. I mean, I don't personally like Natty Light, but it's it's a kind of a rite of passage. You don't, you have to, right? You have to drink it. Yeah, I think and, so. And that's what I love about Talladega. There's so many rites of passage that you have to pass through before you are considered. I don't know. At that point, Talladega greatness. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm you know there. that that I sent you that hat on um, on Instagram is praise hell, praise Dell. I mean, that's perfect attire for Talladega. Now, you know, a day you can wear, you know, you can wear slacks with a, with a nice pair of shoes. You can wear a suit jacket, you know, you know, some Februarys are maybe too warm, you know, but Talladega, you're wearing cutoff jeans and, you know, I don't know, such a sleeveless shirt um, and, and a hat. Like a kind of a trucker hat. You might even go full Canadian tuxedo and wear cutoff jeans and uh, a cutoff jean jacket. You know, it. any it, anything's appropriate at Talladega. Almost. Right. I feel like it's it's tank tops. You know, that's that's the route of sorts. You know, there at Talladega. I got a shirt that I might wear at Talladega. It says, "Last lap, everyone knows the rules." That's perfect. It's a t-shirt, but I feel like I might cut off the sleeves and wear it like a tank top. That might be more fitting down there. I'm throwing my cowboy Yeah, you got to – you, you don't, it can't be a clean cut cut off either. You got to – you know, you got to kind of – it doesn't have to – it can't be a clean cut cut off. It has right. – you got to give it some character. I think you're right. Uh, Tom, uh, some exciting news that came out uh, within the last couple of days that uh, I wanted to open up the show with. And normally we don't talk a whole lot about ourselves around here, but when we do have important news to share, then we do open up a bit and, and uh, step aside from the normal news of the day. And so 
Uh, with that, I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, talk more in detail about this move to Dallas that I'll be making here in a couple of weeks. And uh, first off, just want to thank everybody that's reached out, continues to reach out. Uh, certainly been overwhelming the last couple of days, all the support that I've received. And, and uh, it's just been so, so much, so kind of all the people out there that uh, reached out to me from not just with, with in home in Oklahoma, and in Kansas, but around the country and all around the world. So uh, thank you for everybody that's gone out of their way to, to make me feel good and, and uh, congratulate me on this move. But uh, I will be moving to Dallas, Texas, beginning Monday, March 7th. I have accepted a job with Chat Sports, and I will be covering the NFL full-time as a host and analyst for that company. And this is a, a dream job opportunity. Uh, you know, I spent the last year in Omaha working for great television for their national news network, Local News Live. And, you know, that was a lot of fun. It was uh, a good year uh, there at Great Television. And now we turn the page and begin this new chapter. And, you know, I, I've, I've done news and sports both the last several years, but you know, news for me has been a job. Sports has been a passion. And, you know, I grew up around football my entire life, in particular college football. But it was my time at Lawrence in the Kansas City area where it was really ingrained in me the NFL and the impact of the National Football League for the first time in my life being in an NFL market. And, you know, there, there was just something different. There was a whole nother level when it comes to football, when it comes to the National Football League. And for me, this job was just one of those deals I could not pass up. It was uh, when I was told about it and the opportunity and what it meant and living in Dallas and covering the NFL full time, um, it just seemed like a match made in heaven. And uh, James Yoder and the guys at Chat Sports have been very supportive of our podcast network here, Studio Soapbox, and for the Jones Report and Let's Go Racing, none of that's going to change. In fact, I think that we're only going to go up from here. We're going to have more resources, more things we can do in the Dallas market that we weren't able to do when we were in Omaha. So that's exciting for us. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We've been doing this show for over 10 years now, which is crazy to think about, but uh, that's not going to change. We are going to charge on ahead and grow this show and grow Studio Soapbox to be as big as it could possibly be. Uh, I'll be on the forefronts. Thomas will be here. Uh, Coach Bo, who you'll hear from later on as well. Uh, it's a good thing that we have going, and it's not ending anytime soon. So moving to Dallas is going to mean more opportunities for other things as well when it comes to play-by-play -play or some other side gigs and such that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And so it's a win-win. And in the process, I'm closer to home, too. As most of you know, I'm a Tulsa kid, you know, born and raised uh, there in Broken Arrow. Proud to call Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, my hometown. And I'm going to be a little bit closer now. And so that's great to be uh, closer back to uh, the B.A. And, and to be able to see family and such and the warm weather. And I'll be honest, too, Tom, the Dallas market has always been a dream of mine. Uh, when I was in high school, 
I took summer classes at SMU and lived on campus for two weeks. And, you know, we visited Dallas all the time growing up, with, you know, in college and such, you know, go there during the summers. And it always just felt like a second home to me. And so in a sense, even though I'm moving to a place I've never lived at full time, it feels like I'm coming home in a sense that I'm going to the place where I've always wanted. I very well could see myself living in the city of Dallas for 20 years and be happy and be where I want to be and sell down. That's how excited I am about this move. It is a destination city. These other jobs I've had in the past, whether it was, it's not a knock on them at all, but Lawrence, Omaha, and stuff like that, those weren't destinations. It was always going to be short-term. This feels right. Um, and I'm excited about this this next chapter and what's ahead and and the creativity. You know, I'm going to be able to say and do things that I have never done before. A new challenge that's ahead. You know, uh, in the past, you know, I'll, I'll be, be frank with folks. You know, I've kind of held back a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm very outspoken, as most of you know, but there's a lot of stuff that... Uh, people know me for behind the scenes conversations that I have that I have not been able to talk about publicly on some topics and such. And now we're going to be able to do those things and, and, and open up even more. So Tom, it, it's going to be a win for us, uh, you know, for, for this show, for, for my career, for the audience, uh, only going up from here. I'm excited about this. We're going to start on you a, Tyler Kalashaw, now that you're in Dallas. We might have to get Tim on the show now. Yeah. That'd be cool. I think that'd be really cool. And, you know, he's had some, um, arguably, some some rough takes. But he's also had some good takes. But that would be cool to, you know, now you'll be there. Um, now, you know, I, I think that would be pretty cool. You know, he's... He's there. What is it? The Dallas Star? Am I wrong? Uh, Dallas Morning News. Yeah. Morning News. Yeah. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, you could. Uh, you might as well take the spot. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that about this, just on a personal note, too, I have never lived in a professional sports town before. You know, Lawrence, Kansas, was forty-five minutes from Kansas City. Um, but now being in Dallas and such, you know, I'll have the Mavericks and the Stars, and the Cowboys, and the Rangers all there in my backyard. And I just went to my first NHL game a couple weeks ago here in Nashville. Saw the uh, Predators play. Tom, I already have my, my NFL, you know, my NBA and, and my college teams and all that. What I don't have is an NHL team. I'm wondering, you know, do I need to go ahead and adopt the Stars? I'm thinking – it's that time. maybe I need to be recruited. Maybe as I get to Dallas, the people of Dallas need to uh, convince me. Why should I be a Dallas Stars fan? I'm a Dallas Stars fan. You, you look at the history. Mike Madonna, Shane Lennon. You have Jamie Ben now. Um, you know, I don't watch it. We don't cover a whole lot of hockey on the show. I think that's going to change. Um, I think that, that I think eventually that'll change some. Um, but I'm a Dallas Stars fan, not tried and true like some of them. Um, but I do, I 
like the Dallas Stars and do root for them. Uh, I guess the next closest you were to at Lawrence was the St. Louis Blues, but, you know, I, I think there's some good potential. Now, I've never had an NHL team, but there there is one team, you mentioned the Blues, that I do despise. I, I, I don't like the St. Louis Blues. Have I ever told you this story, Tom? I have not. Did you went to uh, you went trade? Is it the E Trade Center they play in? Uh, they've changed the name a couple of times. It's like the Scott Trade Center and the Enterprise Center, something oh, like Scott, that. Scott Trade. But yeah, Scott went, Trade. That's it. I went there a few years back for the Missouri Valley basketball tournaments, and uh, I got like this really bad sinus infection, and my ears were like all plugged up and just felt horrible there at the Scott Trade Center. So I blame that on the St. Louis Blues. I got sick there at Scott Trade Center. And since then, I have uh, just been anti-St. Louis Blues since. So I don't have a favorite NHL team. Maybe the Stars become my favorite team. But I do have a least favorite team, and that being the St. Louis Blues. Hey, well, you know, you might, as well be a, you might as well be a Stars fan. I can see you being a big Stars fan. I can see this happening, and and you know, we end up, you know, talking about the St. or not the St. Louis Stars, the Dallas Stars. And I'm I'm wait I'm almost waiting on this to happen. You know what? What is funny too, Tom, is that you and I have never rooted for the same teams. Um, you know, when it, when it comes to you know. The NBA, you know, you're a Spurs fan. I'm a Thunder fan. NFL, you know, I'm Chiefs. You're Rams. Uh, you know, college, you know, I'm Kansas. You're Oklahoma State. Um, you know, and then baseball, you know, I'm a Royals fan. You're a Cardinals fan. But, you know, we're not huge baseball fans either. This could be our time to finally unite on a forward front here. If if I join you in, uh, in Stars Nation, is that what you guys call yourselves? You know, to be honest, I, I I don't know exactly what the what the term is, but I think you would fit perfect. I watch a couple of Stars games a season, um, just when I can catch them, um, especially during the postseason. If if Stars make the postseason, which they're regularly in or close to, um, then then I watch. I've always wanted to go to Dallas to watch a game. Uh, tickets are so dirt cheap. You can sit very close for very cheap. Um, and I've always wanted to go see one. I was going to go see a lightning game when I was in Tampa, but they were away from home at that point. Um, and I'll be in Dallas in April, John Mayer. Um, and if they, if the stars are playing then, then I will go for sure. Um, it'll be, it would actually be in the same arena. So, um, I think it would be a lot of fun if you end up being a Stars fan. I, I, You know, I have a friend that lives in Dallas that I did student council with, and he's actually a Chiefs fan, an Oklahoma State fan. He's actually a Stars fan, too, um, because he's li- he lives in Dallas. He always will Snapchat at the games, and he goes, Dallas is a hockey town. As he always puts on his Snapchats, <laughs> which I think is funny. Is Dallas is clearly a football fan. Um, so, you know, it, I, it'll be a good time if you be a star. Okay. 
and I, I'm you know I'm not diehard like I am the Spurs or Oklahoma State or the Rams, but um, I for them and I see that they're the perfect opportunity. Okay. Well, uh, we'll take that into consideration. The idea of me potentially being a uh, Dallas Stars fan. Uh, gonna have to go to game first and see. Say that again, Tom. I don't know who else you would root for. Right. I mean, I guess the Nashville Predators. I had a good time in that Preds game last week. Like the Preds. I like them too. You know, I don't like. There's a couple teams I don't like. That's the Red Wings. I don't like Red Wings. Um, I don't mind the Blues because of St. Louis. They don't have my they don't have my fandom like Saint or like Dallas does. Um, I like the Coyotes. Um, to be honest with you, I like the Coyotes because I think their jerseys are super cool. I think they have some of the coolest jerseys in hockey. Um, and I, I like Lightning because I like uh, you know for your hockey fans out there that probably any hockey fan. To listen to us we are very grateful for you because we never cover hockey this is like so the you're most still we've ever talked about hockey ever i yeah and if, if you're listening you're a big hockey fan waiting for hockey i think the best is yet to come uh because i could get down you, you know you being in dallas and being a stars fan could make me watch more hockey and i now that espn has a contract if you've if you kept up at all uh Instagram has been tweeting out or not tweeting out. The Instagram has been tweeting out. I'm a freaking millennial. Um, they've been, uh, you know, talking way more hockey here recently. So in, in the contracts have gotten hockey, you know, a lot more on TV than it was. So um, Jones, I think we're in, I think we're in good territory in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned we can do a whole lot more now that you're in Dallas. And I think that involves hockey too. Whether you end up being a, a Stars fan or not, um, I think being in Dallas and, and seeing how much just Dallas supports the Stars, I, I think it's going to rub off on you. Oh, yeah. I mean, so like this weekend, um, I'm going to Dallas and I will be uh, working with uh, our buddy David Starr on his racing school. Going to be like doing some social media, uh, some PR stuff on that front. And you know, Texas Motor Speedway is going to be right in my backyard. And that's just another thing that adds to it. Not only of having, you know, an NBA, NHL, MLB, and NFL team, but track right there. And then SMU and TCU are right there on the Metroplex. I mean, there's going to be no shortage of things to do. On top of all the shows and concerts and Six Flags and everything, I will never be bored living in uh, the Metroplex. So uh, I can tell you this, though. Uh, my promise to you, the folks at home, you know, we, we've talked about how over the years of doing this show, for the last 10-plus years now, um, Thomas and I have not changed as people. I mean, we are the same guys that we were in the very beginning. Um, you know, we've evolved and matured to some extent, you know, <laughs> but – at the end of the day, we're still the same personalities, the same people we've always been. Um, what I'll tell you this, going in ahead of time, I will have nothing to do with the University of Texas. It'll always be horns down. If anything, Tom, I will 
hate the University of Texas even more than I do right now. So uh, just like when I went into Nebraska, I told y'all, I'm never going to be written for Nebraska. It does not matter that I'm a resident there, that I have Nebraska license plates or anything. I wasn't going to give in. And I held strong. I was there for a year, and we didn't do, we didn't do that. Same with UT here. We're not giving in. If anything, I hate UT even more. <laughs> there you go. Maybe you'll be uh, – maybe, maybe your second favorite will be TCU or SMU. You know, and, and that could be doable. I mean, like, I don't have anything against those schools. Um, you know, but, Not yet. But, not yet. But Texas, uh, we, we have a lot of bones to pick with the University of Texas. Anyways, uh, enough about me. Uh, certainly excited about this move. Thank you again to everybody that's reached out. And uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. And we'll be uh, doing some stuff, uh, some exciting things to announce in the coming weeks, some new projects. And, and things and get started with this new job at Chat Sports. Highly encourage you to follow Chat Sports on Twitter and Instagram and wherever your social media platforms are. Just at Chat Sports is the easiest way to find those guys there and the team. And uh, one more note, I'll mention this too, Tom. Now moving to Dallas, I have the holy trinity of food. I can eat at Whataburger, In and Out, and Brahms. And I can still go to Bucky's and Quick Trip too. You do. You got it made in the shade. It sounds. Man. Uh, you got it. You know, you got it made. And, and I'm, I'm sure there will be some other. There's some, obviously, some other good cuisine. Sorry, cuisine in Dallas. So. Oh, yeah. Have you ever had Babe's Chicken? Babe's? I have not. Oh, Babe's is phenomenal. That's you won't be going to KFC again if you eat at Babe's. I don't go to KFC anyway. I'm more of a Chick Fil A and a, a Canes guy. But uh, you know, when I come down, as long as it's not Culver's, um, I'll be coming down in April um, to Dallas American Airlines for John Mayer. So I'll have to try Babe's then. Okay, that sounds like a plan. All right, let's, uh, let's move on now. We mentioned the University of Texas. Let's go ahead and uh, start with our uh, Big 12 basketball breakdown this week. And um, this is a good week to start with the Big 12 on the show with Jared Sutton set to join us coming up in uh, just a few moments from right now to go more in depth on what's going on in the uh, Big 12 conference. But here we are. Let's go ahead and start out with the Big 12 basketball standings. As uh, we bring you this show here in the middle of the week uh, with just a few games left, Kansas is currently on top of the Big 12 at 12 and 2, a game and a half lead on Texas Tech and Baylor, who are each 11 and 4. This league, if you recall, plays an 18 game conference schedule. So that means that, simple math, there are four games left in league play. That's it at this point. We are almost down to the finish here. And this weekend, Kansas takes on Baylor Saturday night in prime time. Baylor got their ass kicked the last time these two teams played back in February, in, uh, in early February. I was at that game in Lawrence. And now Baylor's hosting Kansas, has a chance for revenge. I'd be shocked if Kansas delivers a beatdown again with Baylor being at home and you know, Baylor 
that was a bad day for them. Everything that went wrong could have gone wrong for Baylor that day. They won't be uh, playing like they did before. Since that game, though, since Baylor lost to Kansas, they have responded by beating K-State by 15 on the road, by putting a thumping on Texas at home. They did lose to Texas Tech by 10, but they did beat TCU again, and they beat Oklahoma State in overtime this past week. So they've had a decent bounce back of some sorts the Baylor Bears have had over the last several games. And you just look at the numbers. You know, Flaggers average at about 14 a game. Friars averaging about 14 a game. Uh, Akinkjo is averaging about 13. Brown and Mayer close to about 10 points a game. I mean, they have some scorers here. And, you know, here, here's what I think happens, okay? Uh, you know, we've been talking the last couple of weeks, Tom, about the different scenarios in this league race. And I think that with that game and a half lead and only four games to go, it's pretty safe to say that Kansas will win the Big 12 title, at least a share at this point. It would have to be quite the downfall for Kansas not to at least get a share. But I think what gets determined Saturday is if they share the title with Baylor or not. If Baylor is able to win Saturday, I think we're talking about a split title between those two teams. Texas Tech's still hanging out there as well. If Kansas wins outright, I think that they potentially not only win the league outright then, but at that number five ranking and then beating a top 10 team on the road, I think Kansas potentially could lock up a one seed this weekend as well. There is a lot to play for for both these teams, especially the Jayhawks come Saturday. And in Baylor's case, maybe even, we talked about a lot to play for. Have that number 10 ranking right now. You're a game and a half back. You could put yourself in position to share the Big 12 title. Maybe a win against Kansas jumps you up enough when you're back in that number one seed discussion here. So this is going to feel like a Sweet 16 or Elite Eight game on Saturday night, Tom. I don't think that's a stretch. That's what we're talking about, how big this game is for both these teams that have a lot to play for. Uh, yeah, Jones, I, I think that could happen. I think I think that um, I, I think that if I, I think KU has a lot to play for, like you mentioned, I think if they can go ahead and beat Baylor, I think you I think as you know, as a build off led team, I think you mentioned that to your team said, hey, listen, we go ahead and take it to Baylor. It doesn't have to be an ass whoop, you know, pull this game out, play your best. Go out, do what you need to do, and if you, you know, if you get the win, great. Then you potentially lock up a one seed, and um, you know, I, I think for KU they want that to happen. You know, it's not that, you know, if they if they were guaranteed a two seed, which I think they already are, you know, whatever for this game, just you know, everyone be healthy for the tournament. Um, but at this point, I, I think you. Let your team know, hey, we have something to play for. Whether we're not, you know, sure we could share the the title with Baylor, even if we lose, whatever. But it's, it, you know, it, for a team like KU, it goes beyond the Big Twelve title. You know, you want the best seating in the tournament. You want the, you know, you want the best bet. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how they play come this Saturday. Bill Self will have their team ready. I'm not going to say KU is going to win it, 
I think it's going to be a lot closer, obviously, than the first round uh, of games. But uh, it should be very interesting to see what happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And, you know, I hate to sound like the pride of the SEC, the pride and the arrogance of the SEC, the whole means more thing. And, you know, we hear from the SEC people in, in college football town that, well, if you win the SEC, I mean, you're going to the playoff. I mean, that's just it. That's just how the playoff works. You know, I feel like if we're going down that route, the Big 12 has – earn the right in a sense if you find a way to win this league outright for anyone whether it's a Kansas or a Baylor if you win are good enough to win the Big 12 outright you're a one seed that's yours Kansas here that's what we're talking about here um you know even if you have a slip up and get knocked out early in the Big 12 tournament or something like that you win this win the Big 12 outright um I think you deserve the one seed uh just based on the merits of finding a way to dominate, you know, win a league this strong outright, that's a huge accomplishment. Oh, it'd be huge if they end up winning it outright, right? I mean, it's one of the toughest, if not the toughest league um, in the entire nation. So, you know, if they can do that, it'd be a great accomplishment. You know, you look forward to the Big 12 tournament, sure. Um, But we've seen in the past that, you know, it's almost like uh, the Rams with first-round picks. You know, they, you hear less need than picks. For KU, it's like, well, fuck that tournament. We're going to, you know, we're focused on the big dance. And if we already have a one seed locked up, let's just be healthy and let's be prepared. Uh, and again, different from this KU team. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And um, Baylor, you know, it's, it, it's hard to imagine they can be a one seed without winning this game. Um, you know, there's an outside chance that both these teams could be one seeds, but that'd be unlikely. Um, but in Baylor's case, if you want that one seed, this has got to be a win, and you know, no, no matter what, you know, as far as that goes. But Kansas's case, yeah, I think it's, I think it's an outside chance for Baylor if they win this game that they can be one seed still. In Kansas's case. You win this, you lock up the Big 12 and a one seed right here. That's what we're talking about. Now, as far as the other teams go, so here's what we're looking at, folks, for this weekend. Oklahoma plays Oklahoma State. Oklahoma at 14 and 14 now. I think the Sooners are out. They're done. They've had a lot of shakeup when it comes to the, the tournament hunt for these teams. Here's what I mean. Let me explain this. Oklahoma State's been screwed over. That's a whole other story. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State out of the picture. Um, Texas takes in West Virginia this weekend. Texas, they're in. West Virginia, they're a 500 team. They started out really good. You got that non-conference win against UConn. We're playing some good basketball heading into conference play, but they've struggled as of late. I think West Virginia's done. Um, Iowa State at 19-9, they're in. K-State 14-13. I don't think there's enough wins out there. I think K-State's out. Texas Tech, top 10 team, probably about a two or three line team. Um, TCU, I think, is going to be in. Kansas and Baylor, obviously, in. So what we have seen is that this league has been very good, as it's been the last several years, but there hasn't been enough wins to go around that everybody continues to beat up on everybody. What looked like just even a week or two ago, a possibility of, wow, 
maybe this week sends even eight or nine teams to the tournament. Well, with everybody beat up on everybody, now you have probably six teams going through the tournament. And I know that that's not as sexy and it's not as exciting as what we were talking about just a couple weeks ago, but that's the nature of the beast when you have a 10-team league and a round-robin schedule. Uh, sometimes it's going to you know, play to your benefit where everybody gets some quality wins and helps out their case. Other times, like we're seeing what's unfolding the last couple of weeks, Tom, you beat up on each other too much, and and uh, that's what I think is going to happen. I think you're talking about six teams from the Big 12 going in the tournament right now. I don't think that's a bad bet, and, and if there's seven, it'll be a bubble last-second team that gets in. I don't think it's a bad bet at all to say six. Um, I, I would I would say sure fire at six, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, you just can't. So, I mean, at you know, point, if another one gets in, great. But it it's for another one to get in. So TCU would be the last Big Twelve team in. I think TCU feels pretty good about their position at seventeen and nine at this point. Um, but if Oklahoma or West Virginia or a K State, at this point, they're just hoping. I think for the hail mary of winning the Big 12 tournaments and taking an at-large bid away from somebody from, you know, an, another last four team in of some sorts. I mean, um, you still have something to play for. I mean, that's what makes this thing so exciting. Right, which is not out of – and this – exactly. And it's, it's not out of the question that they do that. Right? I mean, okay, look at that Oklahoma team. You know, Tanner Groves has been so up and down this year. And I'd say mostly down. He's a guy, and, and I hate calling out college kids, but he has not lived up to the hype and the expectations of what we thought going into this year. But is Tanner Groves capable of, you know, playing three good games in a row and getting Oklahoma a Big 12 tournament championship? And when it wouldn't it shock me. I mean, like, that's not out of the realm of possibility here. I mean – and this year, I haven't seen the format, but since Oklahoma State's been screwed out of the postseason, uh, the format of the tournament's going to be a little bit different because only nine teams are going to the Big 12 tournament this year. So I don't know if that makes things easier or what, but, um, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and K-State are going to – it's going to take a conference tournament championship for them to get in, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, we've seen it kind of happen before. I mean, it's absolutely right. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And, and you know, if KU especially locks up in one seed, uh, I, I don't doubt that KU would still want to play for a, a, a Big 12 championship or a Big 12 tournament championship title. Um, but, you know, for at that point for KU, all that matters is that they, that, that they lock up the one seed if they do so this week and that they stay healthy. Um, that's all that's going to be on big self's mind. You know, if you lock up, you know, the big 12 championship, then at that point, it's like, well, you know what? We've done what we needed to do. We've got bigger aspirations than just a big 12 championship or a big 12 championship tournament win. Uh, for that matter, if we get knocked out, we get knocked out. If we win it, so be it. Um, and that, you know, that makes Bill self that, you know, that's what makes him so legendary. Uh, in, in terms of great coaches, and 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 I think I think the rest of the KU players know that. Listen, we're going to try to win it, 
If we don't, so be it. We'll see you all in the big dance. Um, and so I, I think they'll play to that. Um, would I be shocked if it's KU to win it all in terms of the Big 12 tournament? No. But if it's not, no biggie. Same with Baylor. You know, same with Baylor. Baylor has bigger aspirations too. They're they're trying to defend what they what they did last year. So for them, it's not so big of a deal. Um, neither for KU either. So I think that does leave, you know, I think that does leave room for one of these other teams to potentially get an at-large bid. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So there you have it. Uh, that's our uh, Big 12 breakdown for this week. And uh, we'll have more Big 12 basketball discussion when uh, Jared Sutton comes up and uh, joins us in just a few moments from right now. Uh, one more thing. By the way, I was watching that Kansas-Kansas State game the other night, and KU rolled out, like, these special jerseys for the Sunflower Showdown that had, like, sunflowers, rainbows, and junk on them. Uh, never wear those uniforms again. Those things need to burn in hell. I know Bill Self doesn't like wearing red uniforms for whatever reason, but – my God, like I would wear those red uniforms any day before I would ever unleash those sunflower uniforms again. So uh, if anyone at the athletic department is listening, please uh, burn those and don't ever let those things see the day again. Did you see those, Tom? I did not. I'm not sure if I want to see them at this point. <laughs> Maybe not. Were they, were they that bad? They were that bad. Should I go ahead and send it to you while we're talking about this? Yeah, I have to see it, I guess. All right. Let's get your reaction to this. Um, okay. I am uh, about to send this to you in real time so you can see. This is as, as fast as I can pull it up anyway, but you'll see enough of what I'm about to show you here. Okay. I just sent this over, and uh, oh yeah. no! Yes, that's what they wore. That looks it. like a bad tablecloth, isn't it? I mean, your grandma wouldn't even yeah, roll out no. that tablecloth. Yeah, I mean that's a bad that's that's bad tablecloth quality. Like that looks like that looks like the uh, some of the cups that my grandma used to have that we used to drink out of. <laughs> you know that I thought it was. Thought it was cute to have a little sunflower on the cup. Yeah, those are bad. That's that's real bad. I I don't blame you in saying that. Those are I wouldn't wear those again. Thank you, Adidas. Never fails. Um, <laughs> coming up next, uh, Jared Sutton. Going to stop by uh, later on. We'll have the football fix with Coach Bo. We'll also have our temple restore of the week. All that and more. Stay with us as we continue. Heard the jokes. <laughs> Joining us now on the Jones Sport this week is New Orleans Pelican scout and college basketball analyst Jarrett Sutton, who's back in the program once again. Jarrett, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. So much going on with you, man. And and we're post-Super Bowl now, so this is the time of year where much of the country starts to pay their uh, attention towards college basketball and the NBA both. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ty. It's been, been a little while, but uh... – it's fun to be talking college basketball into February, March, right around the corner. This is still a, 
exciting time. We're both in hotels, so clearly a lot <laughs> going on. Uh, yes. but thanks for having me, man. Well, yeah. I just want to chat hoops with you. Of course. And uh, tell us before we dive into too much shopping stuff, what's going on with, with you and the, uh, the Pelicans, that team in the middle of a playoff hunt right now, just made a move for uh, C.J. McCollum. How are things with uh, the Pelicans these days, man? Things are good. I mean, uh, probably didn't end the, the first half like we wanted to on a losing streak, but uh, getting C.J. McCollum uh, in the deal uh, with Portland, getting Tony, St- Tony Snell, getting Larry Nance, uh, we added three pieces, uh, CJ being, you know, the top guy there, uh, in terms of just a proven scorer, um, you know, top player in the league, top scorer and, uh, and great leader. Most importantly, someone we really needed, um, guy that's been excellent since we've traded for him, uh, has been very efficient and really kind of orchestrating our offense pretty well, uh, which is tough to do, but he's a pro and he's been very good. And, uh, Willie Green is in his first year for us. He's had uh, a really solid season considering, you know, we've been we've been without Zion. We've had injury problems uh, like every team goes through. But, sure. um, you know, first year head coach, he's done a great job. And, you know, we got here the second half of the season starting on Friday for us. And you know, we're hopeful that we can you know try to get in the play in and, and fight for a playoff spot. Uh, we believe we have the pieces. Brandon Ingram's having a great season. Um, I'm so I'm, I'm biased. I should say it. I, I wish he would have been an all star. <laughs> But he's, he's played at an all-star level. Herb Jones has been great. He's a rookie for us. Uh, he's been a great defensive player. I think he's been one of the better on-ball defenders in the league all year as a rookie. Uh, and he's been great for us as well. Jonas Valanciunas has been great for us. We traded for him in the offseason um, and has really helped us in terms of rebounding the ball, stretching the defense, um, and, and really provided uh, some great production for us in the first half of the season. And uh, hopefully we can have a second half run here, stay healthy, and hopefully get the big fella back at some point. Man, I got to tell you, I mean, you guys have a really good young core. I mean, once you get Zion back, you mentioned Ingram, save Jay McCollum. Um, that's something you could build upon there. I imagine uh, for Pelicans fans, it's got to be exciting of what is to come. I know this year hasn't been necessarily the year you guys wanted, but it seems to be a bright future for the Pelicans here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Trey Murphy was a first-round pick for us. Uh, I think Trey's going to be really good. Uh, he's a rookie. He, you know, he's he's continuing to learn and grow in the NBA game. But I think he's going to be just fine. I I really think he's he's a big piece for us. Um, it was tough to see Kyra Lewis tear his ACL earlier in the year. He was having, you know, somewhat of a t- turn in terms of really putting it on and, and and really having some really good games. And then goes down with a season-ending injury uh, in his second year. That was tough for us. But we got a lot of really young talent that uh, I think is really impacting us in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's, it's tough in the West, especially when you're without, you know, one of your top pieces, but we've been able to weather the storm. We got off to a really tough start uh, to start the season and we fought our way back, uh, particularly since Thanksgiving, we, we've been pretty solid and we've had to fight through a lot of adversity, but I, I appreciate the guys in terms of really never letting go of the rope. Um, we've competed. We've, we've, really played ourselves into a position where we can even be in the conversation for the play-in. And this was before we got CJ in the trade and, and Tony and Larry. So it's, it's something we're excited about. And I think our coaching staff's excited about um, future's bright for us in new Orleans. We, we just got to get everything together to really kind of see what our team's going to be uh, Zion, a big piece of that, but also some other guys as well uh, to, to try to put themselves in the rotation. And, um, but I, I'm, I'm excited about where we're headed. I'm excited about the direction Devonte Graham, former Jayhawk has been oh, yeah. good for us. You know, he's he's uh, he was a good addition. He's had a little bit of a struggle uh, over the last 10, 12 games, probably, but uh, has really been a spark plug for us a, a lot of the time in the first half of the season. And, and you know, Devontae's just 
one of those guys that, that uh, is infectious to, towards everybody. So well, I'm excited about our team uh, in terms of where we are this year and then moving forward. Let me ask you about Devontae real quick since you bring him up. This was a guy that was a second-round pick uh, you know, originally by, of course, uh, Charlotte and just blossomed out of nowhere, had that breakout year and uh, was just really better than, than expectations were for him for mo- than what most people anticipated. And obviously had a great career at Kansas and his game, Jared, I watch him play the, the NBA game, and it amazes me what he's done to evolve. I mean, you know, he was a very good college player, don't get me wrong, but his shooting is better, his passing's better. I mean, this guy has put in the work, it seems, uh, since he left Kansas. And he was, you know, quite the hard worker at KU, but I'm amazed with what this guy has put in uh, in his downtime to get better every single day. Yeah, I mean, the, the NBA game, it's a different language compared to the college game. And Devontae had such a great college career at Kansas. Um, I thought he molded really well into playing the point guard position after Frank Mason left. I think right. that was really big in his development before he got to the, the pro game. Um, but, you know, he, he had a lot of breakout moments in, in, in Charlotte and played the point, um, had a lot of clutch moments, and he's had a lot of clutch moments for us. Um, Guy's fearless. Uh, he's tough. He's gritty. He's a winner. Um, he's everything you really want from an intangible sure. standpoint in a player. Um, and it's it's tough. You know, the, the league is is built off size, athleticism, skill. Um, he's probably an undersized guard, but he's really been able to, I think, improve his three-point shooting to stretch it to the NBA line, to be consistent in that area. And then also, you know, as a pick and roll ball handler, he's he's a very good passer. Um, I think he's very underrated in that area. Um, that's something that probably gets overlooked a little bit in his pro game. And look, the, the NBA is a tough league to crack, and he proved himself. Um, I, I I really thought two years ago, I actually saw him in Minnesota um, against the Timberwolves when he was in Charlotte, and I thought, man, this who would not want this kid on your team? I mean, he just sure. he plays with so much fire, and that's what he did at Kansas, and he continues to do that in the NBA game, and that's why you know a lot of our guys really admire him, respect him, and our coaches love him as well. It's just he he just does not stop playing and competing at a high level, and that's every night in the NBA too, which is tough when you're playing 82. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Jerry, give me a little inside baseball for folks that don't know what it's like for you as a scout and such. Uh, you're telling you were telling me earlier you're going to college games, you're scouting NBA games and such. Uh, uh, obviously, when COVID hit, you weren't on the road quite as much. What does it look like for you uh, these days? And kind of give people that maybe don't know what it's like uh, what, what goes on a typical what's a typical day look like for you as a scout. Yeah, I mean, this year has been more travel, uh, which is a good thing. Um, it's been a little bit of a struggle in terms of dealing with flight cancellations. And, you know, you're back to dealing with weather and uh, coming out of a pandemic. It, it, you know, it was canceled flights. I think the toughest part of this year is just dealing with the travel part um, of it as well. Can't wait for that new terminal in Kansas City. I just got to plug <laughs> that. That's, that's going to help. Yes. Matters uh, a, a lot. But uh, you know, I think day, day in the life, I mean, you know, last night had a game in, in Minnesota. I usually fly in the day of. Um, we're in season, so we're in the evaluation period. So you're, you're trying to see as many players as you can from, you know, November through March. Uh, conference tournaments start up here in a week or so. And I'll be out in Las Vegas covering Pac-12 and, and WCC and Mountain West and trying to see guys I, I haven't seen really a lot of on the West Coast. I'm a Midwest scout, so I do a yeah. lot 
with the Big 12, Big 10, uh, had a lot of overlap with the SEC. And then I get out to the Big East a lot uh, throughout the season. So, you know, I have a region, but I'm trying to see everybody um, in the States, that is. And, you know, that that can be a lot, but it's, it's a blast. Um, and the biggest part of my job, too, is the relationship piece, um, building relationships with coaches, um, trying to, to really dive into the intel. And that is really identifying players and, and what makes them tick. You know, do they love the game? Uh, are they good people? Uh, can we bring them into our organization? Do they work hard? Uh, do they want to be in New Orleans? You know, there's a lot of questions you go through, a lot of hoops you jump through uh, to really identify the fit. Uh, that's always what we kind of talk about is, is finding pieces that really can, can improve our basketball team from a skill standpoint on the floor, but also we're going to represent our organization uh, in what our owner is looking for. So, yeah. you know, we're kind of the, the boots on the ground uh, trying to really identify that for David Griffin, Trajan Langdon, Swin Cash, Bryson Graham, our front office uh, that are doing a lot with our team uh, that are with the team on a day to day. They get out and see college games. They're also seeing a lot of pro games and they're with our team a lot. So uh, it's an important role. And it's one I, I really I, I'm, I'm blessed to be in this role. It's my dream job. Um, I love it. I love working for the Pelicans. I love our organization. I love our front office. Um, it's a lot of every day you wake up and, and uh, you know, when, when I get on a plane and I'm, I'm flying somewhere and I'm tired, I just remember that I'm, I'm covering the game I love. And I think every, every game I go to, I'm thinking, can, you know, I'm, I'm always identifying, is this player, you know, going to be wearing a Pelicans Jersey? And I, I think that's always gets me going. That kind of makes me tick every day. Um, and it, the whole year is, is different, right? You got practices in October, you have your game schedule, then you got your pre-draft, the combine draft meetings, and then the draft and, and the draft is my Super Bowl every year. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just fun to be a part of draft night, knowing all the work you put in throughout the year comes to a head one night uh, and you got to be ready to go that night. And, and that's exciting. It's a thrill. So of the talent in college basketball this year, who were some of the guys that, that stand out to you? Uh, you know, I'm looking around, and it seems like this is a pretty deep class. I don't know. Uh, you know, last year we talked about it being top-heavy. It feels like this year there's more depth. Uh, what, what say you as far as this uh, this group that's going to be coming out? Yeah, I, I think any draft, and I'll say this with any class, like, you know, you break down the class. I think the last two years have been have been good. Um you know, the, yeah, the top of the draft is always going to be discussed uh, in terms of guys that can really make an impact and be a core player, starter, franchise piece. Um, you know, we, we drafted Herb Jones in the second round at 35, and he's starting for us. Uh, he's got a chance to be on the all-rookie team. You know, there, there is, you know, something to be said that there's always going to be value in a draft. And no matter if you're in the first round or second round, I think any pick, you know, you, you really want to look and dive into – you know, can you find value? And there always is going to be value in any draft. I think with this draft in particular, you know, the top is really good. Uh, I will say that. I, I, I can I can say that in the past, it's been, you know, there's been some good draft classes at the top. There's been some some classes that have been kind of up in the air, right? The Lamella ball draft, there were some question marks. I think a lot of it depended on, you know, who you talk to and, and just the background. And some of these guys had not played a lot. They had shut it down, which is never a good thing for us uh, just because you don't get to see a lot of it. A lot of these guys are competing, man. And and that's been impressive. Like the Jabari Smith, he's, I think he could be in the conversation, you know, in in recent drafts to be at the top, right? Um, Evan Mobley is having such a terrific year with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, you know, there's a lot of comparisons there with Jabari. Uh, Jaden Ivey, who is just raw, explosive athleticism. Oh, I mean, I do buy the Derek. 
the Giddy kid in Oklahoma City, Josh Giddy, just came out of nowhere. I mean, right. I have no right. idea how, right. how Sam Presti found this guy. Absolutely. And there, there's going to there's gonna be guys in this draft, too, that uh, that probably Sam Presti identifies, right? The long-term <laughs> plays. and um, But, but you know, the, there's I would say that the top five, top ten is, is really solid in this class. There's a lot of, lot of good pieces. And in my region, Big Ten, Big 12, there's a lot of talent, right? Jaden Ivey, Johnny Davis, uh, Keegan Murray, Ochai. Uh, there, there's some really good talent in the Big 12. Jeremy Sokin from Baylor, uh, I think, is a little bit of a sleeper. Uh, you know, th- those are guys that really identify uh, in terms of guys that are going to be in that top 20, probably, that come from my region. So it's it's been a busy year, but it's been an exciting year because there's a lot of really good players and, and guys, too, that have returned that have really helped their, their stock, right? Ochai won, EJ Liddell from Ohio State. Uh, has really improved. Came went back to school. Local local Midwest kid um, from the East Illinois side. I mean, th- those are really good stories of guys that went back to school that really helped and help help their draft stock, right? And and really have played themselves into a position where they they might be a first round pick this year. So th- those are always the stories you love to hear when guys go back to school and help themselves and help their stock. And and in this draft, they got a chance to be in the first round and and really help themselves in terms of their career uh, projection and their direction they're going. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned Ocha. I mean, here's a Kansas City kid that, you know, from Oak Park and playing alongside Christian Brown and Olathe kid, you know, both in the Kansas City area and making such a big impact in this Kansas team. And here they are. We might be talking about two first round picks potentially, both from Kansas and the Kansas City area. That's unheard of. That, that speaks a lot about the, uh, the talent there at Kansas City. I'm so excited to watch both these guys play and even beyond KU, what they're going to do. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I've always said that I think locally, especially in the state of Missouri, and then you get on the Kansas side, you know, there's there's a lot of talent that just kind of gets overlooked, unfortunately. I mean, so much is made of St. Louis, and it's true. The St. Louis has developed a lot of stars. They, they speak for themselves with, with Brad and Jason. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of really good talent, right? Caleb Love comes from St. Louis as well. I got to throw him in there in terms of local, you know, state ties. But, um, you know, I think the story of Ochai Baji is just a great one because of being a red shirt, uh, being under-recruited, severely under-recruited, I think, um, to go to Kansas, to get his red shirt lifted, to pass Will Chamberlain this year, to be in the running for the Wooden Award, to improve every year, uh, to have his three-point percentage be almost 44 45%. I mean, especially when he's at the top of the scouting report and leading Kansas, you know, to a 23-4 and four record and then the top five team in the country. And a lot of that is Ochai. I mean, it's not just Ochai, obviously. I mean, Christian's been great. I think Jalen Wilson has been critical to Kansas uh, in league play. And I think Jalen Wilson is a big, big role for this team in March. But, man, Ochai has just been consistent. And that's what we wanted from Ochai Baji, right, to be efficient, to be consistent. We knew he could be this. Um, and that's why he came back. I mean, he knew he had more to show. He probably could have came out last year. I don't know where he would have ended up. But this year it's, it's a totally different conversation with him. And a lot of it has to do with just between the years, just believing in himself, being confident, being assertive, uh, to really make an impact in games, knowing he could really put his fingerprints on a game, offensively and defensively. And he's been that. Um, Christian Brown speaks for himself in terms of just that type of competitor you want. He's a dog. He's got that chip on his shoulder. Uh, I love when he plays with that fire and, and compassion uh, in terms of, excuse me, like that fire and grittiness to him. Sure. I, I, the Mizzou game jumps out to me, you know, just the first three minutes, just setting the tone, setting the table. He's done that throughout the year. Um, two-way player, great size, athleticism. He's got to continue to improve his, his three-point shooting, but, man, he's really helped himself in terms of he's so efficient around the rim. 
He's smart. He doesn't take bad shots. He can pass. He rebounds. Uh, he does so many things that impact winning. And again, he's taken more steps forward this year. And that's a really good sign. Same with Jalen Wilson. Um, you know, a tough start to the season, obviously, with his situation. Um, probably in Bill Self's doghouse a little bit. And he's come out of that. And look where he's at now. I, I just think that he's starting to put games together. He's he's not shooting the ball all on the season at a high note, but he's fully capable of hitting four five threes. And, and that's what he can do. Um, and another guy that really has to have a lot of confidence. And when he does – man, he can be really good, and he can impact the game in so many ways as well. You know, Jarrett, when I watch this Kansas team, it, it's so fascinating to me. It's you know, just like what we talk about all the time with college basketball, so much about matchups, right? You know, if, if they take on a team that's their size, then they're in great shape and they can do whatever they want. But they have struggled so much with these teams that have a good big or two, like Texas, Kentucky, and others here. Um, you know, if – if it works out for them, I'm looking at it this way, Jared. If the slate works out when it comes tournament time where they get the matchups they want, we're talking about a Final Four caliber team. But if they run into a buzzsaw that has a couple bigs, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they're out the first weekend. What say you? Yeah, I I think the NCAA tournament's tough because, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that it, it, you can have a great season, and this is coming from a guy that, you know, went 30 and five his senior year and got knocked out in the first game of the NCAA tournament as a two seed, right? I mean, I you never know what matchup. <laughs> I know. I, I, I've, I've embraced it now. I've accepted it so I can talk about it. So, so we're okay. But, um, you know, I, I just think it, it does. The NCAA tournament is about matchups. You're correct. Um, I do believe that guard play is critical in the NCAA tournament. Like, yes, bigs are important and bigs can dominate a game. But as we've seen so many times, you know, a shooter, a score, a dynamic point guard can take over a game in March. Um, not to say a big can't, but we see it more guard play. And we see it more with teams that have versatility to put five guys on the floor that can make perimeter shots. Kansas can put four. Um, and I think that's a good lineup for them. I think we saw that against K-State and, and nothing against David McCormick because I, I do think he plays a role for this team. But Kansas looked good the other night playing fast and playing with shooting and, and playing with guys that, you know, you don't want to live and die with the three point shot, but sure. if you can get a you know, Ochai Baji, Christian Jalen and Dewan setting the table there, Zach Clements is, you know, earning a little bit of minutes. Uh, Joseph Yesifu has been really good for Kansas off the bench. He can shoot the ball. Like you, you got guys that can step up and make shots and, and if you can play with pace and speed and, and guys that can take care of the ball that only benefits you. So if Kansas can play in different ways, that, that benefits them. And Bill Self's always going to be a guy that wants to establish the paint. He wants to own the paint. He wants to establish a big man. And he's going to try to do that with David with McCormick. He's going to try to do that with Mitch Lightfoot. He's going to try to implement guys that, that will do that. But at the end of the day, too, I, I do believe Coach Self can adjust. He's one of the better adjusters in game. He can draw up plays. He's great with ATOs. He's one of the best in the country. Obviously, he's a Hall of Fame head coach. He can do that. I, I would expect Kansas to play multiple ways. And I think Coach Self is more open to that now than he ever has been. And I think it's because of guys that have stepped up and proven they can shoot the ball. And I think Galen Wilson, again, is a guy that kind of makes Kansas do that and, and play in a different way, where I think that makes Kansas more of a difficult matchup against anybody come March. And I agree. They have all the pieces and the tools to go compete for a Final Four. The Kentucky game does jump out because Kentucky oh. has – athletes and length and size and guard play that was a tough matchup for Kansas when they don't play well offensively when they don't shoot the ball that well but I 
will say David McCormick was on the floor a lot in that game. Uh, Mitch Lightfoot was on the floor a lot in that game because it had to match Oscar Toshibwe. So it's really what team's going to set the tone in an NCAA tournament matchup. That's always what it's going to come down to. This Kansas-Baylor game on Saturday night, 7 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN, top 10 matchup here. Jared, I know Kansas won this game last time at Lawrence by, what was it, 30-plus. It was at that game. This one, I would be shocked if it's a blowout again. Uh, I think we're in for a good one Saturday night. Uh, this one's going to be a lot of fun, I would think. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Baylor's going to play much differently in their own building, uh, knowing they got embarrassed in Allen Fieldhouse. James James Akinjo was was as bad as I've seen him all year in that Kansas game. Didn't score. Um, I think he was an offer. Um, really just couldn't find any sort of momentum on offense or rhythm. And he's got a score for them. Um, you know, Adam Flegler uh, is a guy that I think has to play well. They, they, they need their guards. Uh, Cryer off the bench. Matthew Myers got to play better. Um, Kendall Brown, Jeremy Sokin, they were okay in the Kansas game. They, they, they all have to elevate their game to, to compete with Kansas. I still think Kansas is probably the favorite, favorite in this game. It's a game for Kansas to win because I think Kansas is playing at such a high level right now. Um, but you can be knocked off, especially in the Big 12 and especially on the road. I think Kansas, the, the, the key in this game for me that I'm going to watch is Kansas ball screen defense. It, it was not that good in the K-State game. They had miscommunications. They had breakdowns. That's got to be a lot better in the Baylor game, especially on the road. They were great at home. Um, you're going to get Baylor's best shot. And, and I do think James Akinjo is going to play much better in this game. And he's going to try to set the tone in, in his own building. And Kansas has got to match that. they got to defend. Uh, they got to be able to switch out and guard and not break down uh, if they want to have a chance to win this game. But it was good to see Kansas go to West Virginia, win in Morgantown after losing you know, at Texas when they gave away a game. Um, right. And so that, that to me is what Kansas have to continue to do is close games, defend, take care of the ball, make free throws most importantly to close games out on the road. Tell me about this, uh, this Baylor team. Scott Drew coming off a national championship. Third straight year that they're a top ten team here. What has Scott Drew done to sustain this program to be a top ten team? I mean, this is unbelievable, the job that he's done. And for them to not just get to the top of the mountain – but to stay there, um, this program's not going away anytime soon. I, I love what Scott's done there and, and the, the the way that they've stayed where, where they are right now. How how they how Scott been able to do this? I, I think it's a couple things. I, I think one, their their player development um, and and culture gets thrown around a lot in sports. I I, I know that. Um, but let's face it, when he took over, I mean. It, Baylor was at the bottom of the barrel in terms of trying to rebuild a program and rebuild it in the right ways and, you know, set a standard and, and set the bar and, you know, have players come through the program that really elevate it and, and create that culture you want that's sustainable. And, you know, I think Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler jump off the page. Um, right. You know, I, I'm, you know, Pierre Jackson was in my class, um, Quincy Miller, Quincy AC. Those guys are really good Baylor teams, right? Um, th th those teams, Perry Jones, th those teams are really good. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's a testament to, to Scott Drew, but it's a testament to his entire staff. Uh, I believe in continuity, and he's had a lot of guys that have stuck around and not taken other jobs. And there's a reason for that. Uh, I think that's, that's a testament to Scott Drew. I think he lets his coaches coach. They recruit specifically to guys that want to come to Waco, Texas, um, which is very difficult to do. But I do think when players go on recruiting trips and they, you know, they're around Davion Mitchell, they're around Jared Butler, they're around Macy Oteague, 
there is a really understanding of if you go to Waco, Texas and you want to play for Baylor, you better love the game and you better love self-improvement. And that's why guys go there uh, to get James Akinjo in a transfer from Arizona. It's a great get. And the transfer portal now is every team's going to look at that. NIL is big now. Um, every coach has to adjust, uh, adjust, but players, you know, the relationships that that coaching staff has to get Jeremy Sokin, who's an international player. They've been great in the international market to get players to come to the States and to play in Waco, Texas, um, to give them an opportunity. Like that's a big deal, right? Flo Thamba coming in, um, and being a a big player in that, that piece. So many players have come to, to Baylor and they've come from all over. And I think that's a testament to the staff and they've done a great job identifying talent but also building that talent and player development is critical for any program. Um, recruiting gets talked about a lot. You want to get four and five star guys that that is important, but you also want to re- develop ta- talent and you want to keep your own guys. And they've been able to do that. And now they're starting to identify top freshmen, Kendall Brown, uh, a top freshman that they got uh, going into this season. Obviously Jeremy Sokin, uh, another guy that they got. Matthew Myers, another, you know, un, kind of under the radar guy that they got yeah. that, you know, slowly developing, but he's such a talent. Um, so it, it's a long winded answer to say they recruited well, but they've identified pieces that fit what they're trying to do and fit their program. They're not just recruiting anyone. They're recruiting and targeting players that fit their system, that fit what they want to do on and off the floor. That's why they won a national championship, but it took a very long time to get that program out from under the rocks to build it up to where it is today to have that sustainability and the credit goes to Scott Drew, but the credit goes to that entire coaching staff. Oh, yeah. He's done a heck of a job for sure. Uh, a couple more things, and uh, then we'll wrap up. Uh, Texas Tech, also in the top ten. Mark Adams, his first year as the head coach there after taking the Chris Beard. This season came out of left field. I don't think anybody had much expectations for what Mark Adams was going to do in his first year at Texas Tech. Tell me about uh, Adams and what he's done uh, to get that program to, to stay where they're at, to be this top 10 team there. Uh, what, what a story for after he took over for Chris Beard. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great story. Um, you know, I, Chris Beard left and, you know, these, these are a lot of his guys. Um, you know, you see the fan base and his support at Texas. <laughs> Tech. I mean, 10 years ago, we're playing at Texas Tech. Not a lot of people are in that, that arena down in Lubbock. And now it's totally different. Um, You know, I I will say coach Adams has done such a great job and I I think it's a a tough thing to do. Um, And coach Adams has had a lot of experience um, as an assistant. He knows Lubbock and Texas Tech. I think he was the right hire because I I do think he understood with coach Beard leaving, it's going to be different. It's his team, but he's kept a lot of the same things, but he's also added his own element to the program. You know, he, it's not totally different. There's still a, very, very tough defensive team, and every coach wants to be tough defensively. Texas Tech is legitimately tough defensively. Like, they are a true, really good basketball team that defends, and that's tough to do. Any five guys on the floor, they defend, and they make life hard for you on offense, and that's that's cannot be said enough. I do think the players that they brought in have been really good, Bryson Williams being one. I think he's been good all year. Kevin O'Banner has been very good for them. Um, it's been difficult for Terrence Shannon uh, in terms of dealing with his back injury. Uh, he's been, you know, a guy that's been a top guy, top prospect, uh, a top recruit out of Chicago that um, has had really good moments for this program in his career and flashes. He's also been hurt. Uh, and that's been, I think the most impressive thing about tech is they've been without Terrence Shannon and they've, they've just been able to find production from other players. Um, Marco Santos Silva, another really good player. Kevin oh. McCuller has been good for them. 
I mean, they just get it from a lot of different pieces to this team. But we just talked about culture at Baylor and rebuilding that program. The same thing can be said in Lubbock, Texas. I mean, very difficult to recruit to, to bring guys to. Guys go there because of what's in place. And Coach Beard deserves a lot of credit for that. And I know he moved on and goes to Texas. Coach Adams is elevating that in his own way, which I think is very important. You don't want to change everything when you when you take over, especially when you're so close to Coach Beard and you had an opportunity to go to Austin, Texas, and you stay in Lubbock. It's your team now. It's your program. And I think Coach Adams has done a very good job of just kind of putting his own twist on this program and on this team. They do things a little bit differently offensively, not a, not a lot different. They're, they're not a great offensive team, but they're good enough because they rest on how good their defense is and how good they are in terms of transitioning from defense to offense. And they got guys that can still step up, make plays, can make shots. Uh, they can play through Bryson Williams, O'Banner, uh, and those guys that they got in, the, in this summer in the portal. And they've kept a lot of the things intact that are very difficult to do when you go through a coaching change. So Coach Adams has done a great job. Texas Tech is a, a legit top 10 team. I would not want to play them in March. I, I will tell you that. If, in terms of matchups, oh yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to face Texas Tech because they're, they're a very tough team that can win those games in the 50s just off toughness alone. They're, they're so physical, so tough. I get tired just watching it. Yes, I mean, no question. It's it's remarkable. It's awesome. Last, yes. Last thing, we'll end on this. Looking at the college basketball you know, season as a whole of these, these teams that are competing as we get ready towards March and such. Last year, it was Gonzaga, Baylor, and then everybody else. This year, a little more parity in college basketball. Who do you think are going to be the teams to beat when the tournament starts here in a couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's like anything, right? There's there's teams at the top that um, Gonzaga's up there again. Um, they got a lot of firepower. Chet Holmgren's a really good player. Drew Timmy back. Uh, and uh, Nebhard has been very good for them as a point guard, uh, kind of fulfilling Jalen Suggs' role. Um, they're they're a team that that I I know that they they get a lot of conversation around not playing high level competition. Um, can they make a run at a Final Four? They have all the talent and capabilities to do so but can't will they get snake bit there's a possibility i like arizona and i like purdue i think those two teams uh, are really interesting i think purdue has the best roster to make a run at it they have depth they have an elite elite guard uh they have a point guard they have shooting they have a passing big they have a true big in zach Eady. um but purdue has struggled in the nc tournament uh under right. coach painter I, I think coach painter has a pedigree and has the experience in the NCAA tournament but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough. I, I think they're going to be a favorite, but I think teams will be a little bit hesitant a little bit. But, you know, Kansas is in this conversation. Obviously, Kentucky's played really well. They had a big win last night without Ty Ty Washington and, and Severi Wheeler um, and against LSU. I mean, that, that's a good win for them. Um, we just talked about Texas Tech. I still think Duke and Villanova are those two teams that have had success in March. Uh, Coach K's last year. Um, they have an NBA talent, multiple NBA guys, and, and Paolo Boncaro. Wendell Moore is really improved. A.J. Griffin's back from injury and playing at a high level. They got three pieces that could take over a game. So I wouldn't sleep on Duke. Um, just wa watched Wisconsin last night. They got a ton of experience. They got bigs that are very underrated, that are very skilled. Um, and they got one of the best players in the country in Johnny Davis. And they got Brad Davidson that's, you know, an older veteran player that sure. understands the game. That's, you know, they're a tough out as well. Um, so there's some really good teams to talk about in this tournament. So it's going to make it fun. I don't know if there's a true dominant team. I don't know if there's a true team that you would say, man, that team's going to just run rough shot and go all the way to a final four. 
I'm not going to say that. I, I think Purdue is probably my favorite. I like Auburn in terms of talent and size and, you know, they got all the pieces as well, but they have shown their vulnerabilities as well. Like I, I don't think offensively, they're a great team. I think a team can like a Texas tech, if, if they match up against Auburn, they're going to make life miserable for Auburn. I don't, can Auburn withstand that in a matchup with Texas tech? I'm not so sure. Um, and Auburn has been in the number one slot. I, I saw them play at Mizzou and I, I thought it was the worst game they played all year and they, they, their warts showed. So it's, it's not, you know, roses and sunshine for Bruce Weber. He's got, or excuse me, Bruce Pearl. He's got a great team, but they really got a lot to prove. I think uh, they're, they're not out of the woods yet. Still a really good team. So a lot of good, good teams there. I would probably put Purdue at the top um, with Arizona, but again, both those teams can be beat. There's no question. Jarrett, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And before we go, uh, tell the folks where they can uh, see uh, you, you got a podcast, a few other things going on. Where, where can people catch all that stuff in? Yeah, I appreciate you open that up. Yeah, I, I have a podcast on the Kansas City Sports Network with uh, former Jayhawk Jeff Hawkins, uh, who's been great. Uh, it's called the Border War Podcast. So uh, we, we give a deep dive into Mizzou and Kansas. Not much to talk about on the Mizzou front uh, this year, <laughs> but uh, – uh, a lot of really good conversation with Jeff. We, we like to talk a lot about past experience as players. And Jeff's a, a high school coach now in the Kansas City area. Pembroke Hill does a great job. Um, and we, I love talking ball with Jeff. He's, he's got such a great experience, obviously, being on two uh, teams that went to the national championship game, has played with some great players at Kansas, um, and really a guy that I, I really admire and enjoy talking talking shop with. So that podcast, we, we, we have a pod probably once a week. Um, you can Find that on Twitter as well. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Jarrett uh, Sutton on, on Twitter as well. And I I'll post out a lot of uh, our clips as well. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great time to talk college basketball, though, especially with Kansas being where they are. Uh, we're going to have Brandon Rush on next week uh, to dive into kind of his experience winning a national championship at Kansas and, and just what it takes too, um, and the experience with Coach Self. I just can never get enough Coach Self stories because I, I – I, I, he's he's a coach I would play for, and uh, to to kind of hear the backstories of ATOs and timeouts and locker room conversations, uh, it's a it's a great behind the scenes uh, just to get a little bit of a pedigree of, of Coach Self, what it's like to play for him. I've always said, pissed off Bill Self is my favorite. You know what I mean? That's right. Seen oh, him on the bench get fired yeah, up. For it. <laughs> oh man! When that, face gets, when that face gets beat red, there's a lot going on. Yes, and uh, and that toupee just doesn't move. You know, it's it's still not there. <laughs> Uh, Jared, appreciate the time, man. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk in down the line. Tyler, thanks for having me, man. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone, 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also, on the email inbox, that's brian.o'connor at lpl.com. That's brian with a y.o'connor at lpl.com. And you can check out O'Connor Advisory Group on Facebook. Hit that like button and you will be glad you did. And also check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out every Monday and Friday on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, and he's got a great show coming up in uh, just a few days that uh, you want to check out as well. And our own Thomas Bridges was on the show this uh, past Monday. So Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, I, I listened to the pod with uh, you and Tom on Monday. And I got to say, first off, I got a bone to pick with you. Uh, okay. You, you say Tom's the funny one. I'm not funny. 
I don't make. Oh, I didn't. I, wow, oh, okay. I he's your comic relief. I love man Tyler. You're my guy too. You know that. But man, Tyler's the. I mean, Tom is the one. See, you got me flustered now. Um, Tom's the one. I he's just a character. Sure. I mean, you you are really good at what you do. You're you're you got the the great radio voice. You've got everything that's just spectacular. You're smart. You know your stuff. My man Tom comes in here to lighten the mood. But I'm both though. I mean, I, I'm here to entertain and. You're, I, you make me laugh a lot, whether it's in the pod or in person. Okay. Okay. So I, I just want that record straight there, you know? Hey, hey I, I got to tell you, um, Token Girl, Ellen has been asking about you. Okay. So she wants to she wants to meet Todd. Okay. okay. We'll see what we can do. Bo, uh, tell me what's going on at OAG this week. Man, we, we, we're doing a good way right now. We are working with a lot of people on life insurance. Um, this is the time of year where people, we talked a lot about a month ago about, you know, get your money right, beginning of the year stuff. And we've got a deal. We work with the insurance partners in Overland Park and we can do, we quote about 75 different companies. So a lot of our reviews this year as we've been going through stuff has been looking at some insurance needs. So whether you are, you know, a, a family and you need to put a little something extra on mom and dad, or maybe you're a business owner and you've got a key person that you just can't afford to lose. We can help you with that. Uh, another big thing coming up is, you know, the markets have been weird. You know, I'm not going to get political on this show, but there's a lot of stuff with the whole, you know, Ukraine and Russia and everything else. It's affecting the markets. Markets are going up. They're going down. We've had four or five straight days in a row of down markets. And people are calling me or they're really there. And I'm calling them to be proactive as well saying, Hey, We've talked about this. We understand what's going to happen. Things do go up and down and really being patient with people and really reminding them that we have a long-term plan. If people's advisors aren't calling them right now, if they're not talking to you and you're right here, right here from your advisor, you need to call me because we don't, you don't know what you're planning. And that's the one thing we want, we want to make sure of. We talked about we were your partner. Eat good times and in bad times. We're going to talk about the plan and keep things moving. Sometimes these things do cause some plan shifts. And if it does, we want to help you with that. We want to make sure you're comfortable with whatever we do. So take advantage of these, these, you know, through these rough times as well. And let's see what we can do to help you. We want to be your partner. Yes, indeed. OAGcast.com, counteradvisorgroup.com for more information there. Bo, let's go ahead and uh, start with uh, the Aaron Rodgers uh, situation. Here we go again, right? Buckle up, folks. Yeah. Um, you know, last year, we went through this whole charade and nothing really happened at the end of the day other than the Packers voided a year of Aaron's contract and he ended up playing the entire season in Green Bay. Now we head into this offseason and the latest update we heard from Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show just a couple days ago was that – things are better with Green Bay, that the discussions have been positive. And we've heard reports that the Packers are willing to give up the farm to keep Aaron there in Green Bay, give him whatever he wants. Um, when I hear those things, you know, if you're a Packer fan, that sounds positive. That sounds good. But I wonder when you say give up the farm, how much that really means. Do you think that the Packers – and Aaron Rodgers can find that middle ground 
where Aaron can be happy and have the say that he wants? Or do you think that uh, this uh, this Packers organization has a point where Aaron Rodgers and them can't meet? Well, Tyler, I think the Rodgers thing, this is going to be interesting because now he's playing both sides to the middle, whether it's I'm coming or I'm going. Um, I think that last year he, you know, he played it to where he, he didn't want to stay, but he stayed and he made it pretty clear he didn't want to stay. This time I think that he is being pulled both ways, but I think part of it is how he handled everything during the season. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is as well liked this year as he was a year ago. And I think he's got lucky that there's still teams that want him and the Packers are realizing, well, it's still kind of a goof if they let him go. The biggest problem I see is that they can work out salary cap stuff. That can all be worked out. You can extend the contract, sign him up for five more years, whatever you want to do. The situation now becomes what happens with Jordan Love. And you know, Jordan Love played one game. It was the game Rodgers was out with the COVID thing this past year, and he didn't play well in that game. So I think that's scary to some people in the organization. It's also, frankly, going to be a significant drop-off. Even if Jordan Love is really, really good, it's still going to be a drop-off. Rodgers went up there won the MVP again. Um, the Packers had to say they'll do whatever it takes in order to keep him. I do think in the end, Aaron Rodgers is going to end up being somewhere else. Um, here's what I'll say about this. The reason I think that, the Packers are run different than every other team. 32 teams in the NFL, 31 of them have one owner at the top, one person who makes the final decision. And this is the kind of decision when you're talking about mortgaging your future. You know, some of the things of some of the things with Aaron Rodgers, you're talking about like some of these Drew Brees things that the Saints have had to do the last few years. And it takes an owner to step in and make that final decision, whether that was the Drew Brees stuff or the Cowboys with Dak Prescott giving him a big contract. It takes a commitment from the one person at the top. The Green Bay Packers do not have one person at the top. They have a committee that runs that. It's um, it's a like a like a, like a board. Like a, like a, they, don't, they don't have a chairman. It's just that board gives the final yes and no. The general manager and the president run the team, and they can't conscientiously go to that board and say, "Hey, we know we're mortgaging the future for for Aaron Rodgers and for one more season." I. I think because of that dynamic, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to get traded. There is also the fact that he's the MVP, two-time reigning MVP. They can, the Packers can get a huge package of draft picks for him. I think that's more apparently apparent to happen than him staying in the Packers' mortgage of the future. It would be different if you had the one owner. The one owner who can come in and say, yep, I'm willing to take the hit. In this situation, you just don't have that. So that's what makes me think, personally, that Aaron Rodgers is going to get traded sooner than later. You know, I wonder, Bo, did it have to get to this point when you look at all that's unfolded over a year now and going back even further than that, the, the Jordan Love trade and all this, um, if – if the Packers had to go back and, and do this over again, how differently do you think they would have gone about things? I think if they'd have had to do it over again, they would have never drafted Jordan Love. 
I, mean, I think that's where this all started. Even if Aaron I, doesn't have a problem absolutely. with Jordan Love, I think that he had a problem with how that started this shade yeah. of events. Yeah, and the Packers should have known better. Let's be frank. I mean, they did this to Brett Favre. They did it exactly like this. There was an expiration date on Aaron Rodgers the moment you drafted Jordan Love. That doesn't mean they think Jordan Love's going to be better. You just have to play a first-round pick, and you have to do it on his rookie contract. I mean, the fact that Jordan Love's now set out two seasons, you know, you cannot sit him one more season. Can't do it. And I, that's why – and there's no trade value for him because nobody he's certainly not him. worth a number – well, nobody wants him because nobody knows who he is. And if the Packers are eager to trade Jordan Love, they're the ones that know him the best. So why would anybody want to make that trade, that deal? Yeah, I. The, the Packers have played this really poorly. They started it by making that, you know, again, I know trust the board. I've heard that over and over again. Trust the board, draft the best player. But a quarterback's different. If you're drafting a quarterback, he eventually has to become your franchise quarterback. If he's a first-rounder, and your current quarterback has to understand, he now has a shelf life. And that didn't sit well with Aaron Rodgers because he had to sit for those two years before he became the quarterback. And he heard all the repercussions and all the stuff he went through at Brett Favre those first couple of years. I, I think this could have been avoided. Your original question, could this have been avoided? Absolutely. Should it have been avoided? Yes. It's another example of the Packers don't have one person in the end who can pull both people into the room as the owner and say, here's where we're going. Here's what's going to happen. It's my team. Everybody else has that. 31 of the other teams have that, right or wrong. doesn't matter if the decision is the right decision or the wrong decision. Someone has to make the decision. And they haven't done that. They just hope that it would work itself out. It's kind of like um, you've seen Office Space, have you? Yeah. The old movie? You know, we just fixed the glitch. <laughs> That's all they did. They were hoping this shit would work themselves out. And it just never, hasn't done that these last two years. So they're going to have to, the Packers are going to have to trade Aaron Rodgers this deal. It's not going to work, going to look good for anybody when it's all said and done. The person who's going to come out looking best is going to be Rodgers. You're a lifelong Saints fan that loves Drew Brees just like all of Saints Nation does. Uh, who dad nation, I should say. Um, Green Bay Packer fans got a Super Bowl from Aaron Rodgers, but mm -hmm. if he leaves with knowing how talented he is, um, it still feels like unfinished business of what could have been. And yeah. I know a lot of it falls on the organization, although Aaron, I think, is responsible. Uh, I, I think that he deserves some of the blame. He, he's not blameless oh. in all this. Um, how do you think he's going to be thought of by Packer fans? Is he going to be completely loved throughout this? Are they going to forgive the, the ending here? Or, or do you think uh, Packer fans will have a, a bit of you know, hard taste in their mouth about Aaron Rodgers when it's all said and done? I think time will heal wounds. It, it generally does. But I think that the initial thing here, like I said, I just think that Rodgers is going to come out looking better in the end. I think it's going to come out for Packer fans. It's going to look like the Packers organization was the gang that couldn't shoot straight. You know, there are organizations that have 
again, it's okay to go all in, make the decision that, hey, we're going to go all in and we're going to just make this decision. We're going to go forward. And whether that was, you know, the Drew Brees thing, you know, the Texans are hurt right now with Deshaun Watson and his contract. Yeah. You know, the Packers and his Aaron Rodgers stuff. There are more than a couple of, you know, the Steelers had it with Roethlisberger the last two years. It's okay to deal with that. If someone makes a decision, you this is what they're going to do. Okay, we have a plan. Um, I think in the end, I, I think coming up initially, it's going to be Rodgers who looks like he's going to win on the deal. And then I think in the end, it's going to be uh, the Packers fans are going to be more sympathetic to Aaron Rodgers the longer it goes away, too. And as far as Rodgers' career, yeah, it's been – it may not – if you're a Packer fan – you may have ex- should have the expectation of more than one Super Bowl, but that's because we all get spoiled on that. Whether we're, you know, Chiefs fans with Mahomes, you know, uh, Saints fans, we had Drew Brees for all those years. We only got one, and we tried. They tried for ten years to mortgage the future to get another one. You know, so there's no promise of that ever happening again. You know, there's teams that you deal with that, and you know, Matt Stafford got one. He's not promised a second. No. You would think that someone who's won four MVPs would have two Super Bowls. But Peyton Manning won five, and he had to go to Denver to get the second one. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not – in the end, Rodgers is going to come out smelling like a rose. Not initially. He's still going to look the winner initially. But in two, three, four, five years, Packers fans are going to accept Aaron Rodgers right back into the fold the same way they did Brett Favre. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Even Brett going to the rival Vikings, he was still welcome yeah. back eventually. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest rival. I mean, their biggest – well, I mean, the Bears are probably the biggest rival. But the interdivision of rival. And Packers fans still loved him, still rooted for him. Right. Right. Yeah. There were Packer fans rooting for him against their own team. Yeah. So. yeah. I, I think that I, – I think one mistake the Packers won't make is they will not trade him in division. No, none of the teams in the division are going to want it. They're not going to be able to pay that price for it. Right. But it's going to, he's definitely going to go over to the AFC. So you don't have to deal with them maybe once a year. But it's, um, you know, I, I predicted this could be Denver. I think that's why Denver loaded up on picks with a couple of the trades they made. I predicted all those picks that Denver has in the first two rounds, first two rounds and two of them next year, they're going to all end up in Green Bay. Yeah. It's just a matter of how Green Bay plays. Speaking of uh, quarterback situations, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers uh, trying to replace the future Hall of Famer Ben Roethlisberger as he's uh, you know officially retired, of course. And we heard from a Steelers GM Kevin Colbert, who is himself retiring after the NFL draft, and said, "Right now, our quarterback is Mason Rudolph." And you look at the Steelers team; they could be drafting a quarterback, probably will. Um, with that being said, Bo, Mason Rudolph hasn't looked bad when he's had the opportunity to play. He's been fine. Hasn't been great, but not bad necessarily either. Um, I think he would be an improvement from what we saw out of Big Ben last year. I don't, yeah. I don't know what, what Mason Rudolph's ceiling is, but I, I think that's fine to give Rudolph a shot. But if you're the Steelers, if, if you like a quarterback in this draft – I don't think Mason Rudolph should stop you from taking a quarterback if you if you found if there's one you like or if you can make a trade if there's a 
the quarterback on the market you can make a move for. Don't let Mason Rudolph stop you from doing that. Yes, I agree. I agree 100%. I think that Mason Rudolph will be a fine fill-in for a year. You may even get more out of him if he plays well. We argued, you and I were talking about this, we both agreed on this. A year ago, we thought the Steelers better play Mason Rudolph in 2021 a little bit because they need to know where they've got in him. He's got one year left on his contract. He's only got the upcoming season. And after that, they don't, if they don't, they have to get him into camp. He has to be the guy and figure out whether he's their quarterback past 2022. I do think that they should draft a quarterback. There is not the one world beater um, lights out, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence kind of number one overall, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, number one overall franchise guy in this draft. There's three or four that could be really good in the right situation. Um, so I think the Steelers, if they do not make a move, I do think they draft one of those quarterbacks, whether that be um, uh, Lewis, Malik Willis, Malik Willis, um, Corral, or um, the one I think the Steelers fans would like to see would be um, the one from Pitt. Yeah, uh, Kenny Pick it. Yeah. Um, what I think the Steelers need to avoid is they should avoid going for a um, a released Derek Carr or um, what a Marcus Mariota, someone who is one of these okay quarterbacks who could get you by to a, to a nine and eight season. And there'll be a few of those out there as teams are to release players. Derek Carr is going to be one of them. Mariota already is out there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Kirk Cousins ends up out there at some point. Things right. like I mean, that. They pretty much already have that guy in Rudolph. Yes. Yeah, so there's no reason to go and get a veteran if a Matt Ryan became available. Don't go make that mistake. If you're going to go get a veteran, it's got to be a top-tier veteran. You have to try to get into the Rodgers sweepstakes. Or if, if it does happen in Seattle and there ends up being a sweepstakes for Russell Wilson, Pittsburgh could be a good landing spot for Russell Wilson. But, I mean, if you're not getting one a top, top, tippy-top-tier guy, then don't get any of them to the Steelers. Play the draft and see what you've got in Rudolph. It's a little bit of a punt on 2022, but, I mean, you made the playoffs in 2021 on a lark, and you really shouldn't have been there, and you got your ass kicked for getting there. They're going to need to take a season and say, hey, what do we have a quarterback? Because they didn't do a good job in 2021 of figuring out what they were doing at quarterback. You know, Mason Rudolph, uh, this is a guy that was a really good quarterback at Oklahoma State. Um, he's got all the size, got the arm strength and everything, and your good running ability too. I I'm looking at him, you know, if you're looking at players with the most to gain this year, I don't know if you're going to find another one like you would Mason Rudolph. I mean, if he has a really good year, this guy, whether it's Pittsburgh or maybe even someone else, he could make himself a lot of money. It's, it's all on him. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's only a couple of them that have that opportunity. You're right, and he's one of them. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got, he doesn't have a lot of stuff on tape where you look at it and go, well, here's what the negatives are. We haven't seen a whole lot of negatives, and when he has played, he's played fairly well. Um, I don't know that he's a franchise guy, but I don't think anyone knows. All right. So he's a guy that if he even if he's not the starter for the Steelers in 2023 – he's going to be someone's backup on a bigger contract than he's ever had. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I, yeah, I think he's a, I, your situation, talking about the Steelers, he's a guy you have to play. You had to put him in, in, in mini camp. He's the number one. He's QB one. And we're not even going to consider anybody else's QB one unless it is the tippy top guy. It's Rogers. It's Wilson. You know, I don't even know who else would be that kind of guy right now that would be available. I think only those two. That's it. I mean, that's those. Otherwise, Mason Rudolph's my guy from the Steelers. Staying with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, Brian Flores has been added to Mike Tomlin's coaching staff. And, uh, you know, his attorney says that they left money on the table going for this lawsuit that they could have settled, but they would have been silenced and they want his voice to be heard and such. Isn't it interesting, Bo, that after all that's played out, the coach that ends up hiring him is Mike Tomlin at the end of the day? Yeah. I mean, that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer hire for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a great hire. It's a great hire. I mean, fantastic hire. When I saw that, when I saw that Brian Flores was hired as a defensive assistant, the Steelers, I mean, if I could have got up and applauded, I would have. Um, I mean, we both are in the Brian Flores is a great, great coach category. Both are big fans of his. Um, why wouldn't you get a guy like that when you have an opportunity? So that's that's my thinking there. And I think that that was, I mean, again, I think it was a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, the uh, Chiefs, they uh, cut Anthony Hitchens, save about Eight and a half million dollars against the cap. Bo, this was a guy when the Steelers brought him in from the Dallas Cowboys. They had high expectations for. Him. There was even people yeah. talking about that he was a potential Pro Bowl talent. But I mean, this guy was a disappointment every single year he was there in Kansas City, and such a liability at times. Uh, I know he got a Super Bowl ring, but I don't think the Chiefs got what they paid for out of Anthony Hitchens. Well, I. Yes and no. Um, if you were paying him because you thought he was going to be a, become a perennial pro bowler, no, you didn't get what you wanted. <laughs> there are times where he has played really well. But the Chiefs known for a couple of years they were going to make this move. Each of the last two years, they've drafted linebackers in the second round, you know, to, to make this, to get ready to be ready for this move. Um, he's not a bad player. He's actually a really good player. It's just that you, you don't see with linebackers a statistic you can lay your head on and go, that's what we got. He, right. he, he calls a good defense. He puts people in positions. You know, he's a guy that Spags uses, you know, in different slots in different areas. It's just none of it shows up on the stat sheet because we don't have, you know, 100, 100 uh, tackle tackles guys anymore. We, don't, we have very few of those. I like, um, I like the guy as a player. We saw this coming. If he, this was a cap. This is purely a cap deal. Um, getting, um, you know, Hutchins was going to save him eight million on the cap. You know, for a team that was they were already they were already thirteen or fourteen under, and now they're going to do this. This gets them back to twenty under. The Chiefs really have three bigger priorities they have to look at, and again, drafting some young players that could take that position already. This kind of saw this coming. I don't know that it's a disappointment. I mean, again, it depends on what you thought you were getting. Um, you thought you were getting a perennial Pro Bowl. You're just wrong. 
But if you thought you were getting a solid guy who's in the middle of the defense and calling that defense, he's been solid and good in those situations. Doesn't have a flashy stat line. Right. Right. And no, no Mike linebacker does. Yeah. Those teams are gone. I mean, those teams are gone. Right. So, yeah, I think the Chiefs have got more important fish to fry. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. A couple more things for you. Uh, I want to transition to talk uh, college football real quick. Uh, you know, we've been talking about over the last few weeks that the ACC was the most vocal conference as far as anti-playoff expansion goes, that they made their voice heard, that they had other priorities, that they weren't interested in expansion at this time. And that's what kind of, you know, kiboshed the idea that the SEC and the Big 12 came up with for conference expansion to go to 12 teams. And now it's going to be pushed back to 2026. And the Big 10 voted no, and the, and the Pac-12 also voted no. Well, now we find out this week more details on the Pac-12 of their reasoning for what, why they voted no. And the LA Times put out a report this week that they voted no um, – in large part because they didn't have assurances that the Rose Bowl would stay on New Year's Day. And also that they did not like the idea of extending the contract with ESPN, which is what it automatically would have done um, had they done so, that they liked the idea of bringing in other broadcast partners when the deal expires after 2026. And then there's also the notion that the SEC, there is a belief among those conferences that the SEC was, when they were putting together this playoff deal, acting in bad faith in that they were pushing for expansion but keeping quiet about Oklahoma and Texas joining their leagues and wanting to expand the playoff in order to help their move to add Oklahoma and Texas. Now, I would counter that and say, Bo, that it's not the SEC's job to reveal their cards and say that Oklahoma and Texas are joining their league and you know, that we're wanting to expand the playoff because of this. Um, from the Pac-12 standpoint, I get their concerns a whole lot more. I'm not necessarily saying I agree, but I understand a whole lot more where they're coming from compared to the ACC that takes the lazy route of that we can't do two things at once. Yeah, the ACC just being lazy. The ACC, I think the ACC is hurt because – the expansion of the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma just means that it's even more attractive for other schools to eventually go to the SEC. I mean, I, the SEC is going to grab two more at some point too. It's going to be Miami and Florida and the ACC is going to, they, they don't have the means to grab a big name. The only card the ACC can play is to try to grab Notre Dame and Notre Dame is not doing that in football. It's just not going to happen. Um, I just don't see you – know, the ACC is being lazy on this. Um, the Pac-12 – well, I think everybody outside of the SEC and the Big Ten, they're all worried about their legacies. You know, you're worried about the Rose Bowl still being on New Year's Day and uh, if you're the Pac-12. And it, notice that the, the two forward-thinking conferences, the SEC, now the Big Ten, and the Big Ten's going through all the stuff now with their TV rights are coming open. They're about to get out of their exclusive negotiation window with ESPN here in the next few days. When that happens, they're going to have NBC and Fox and, and um, 
uh, ESPN is going to be negotiating in there. Who was the other one you just said? CBS. 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 Amazon's indicated. Amazon can get in there and do it. You're going to have a bunch of people in, in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is going to end up with a, with a contract like ESPN has with, with the, the SEC. Right. Um, I think it's going to be some kind of split deal. I was listening to Andrew Brandt talk about this last week, and um, they were talking about he, he thinks it's going to be a split deal between NBC and CBS. And leave ESPN altogether. And that ESPN will be out on the Big Ten. And Fox, I guess, then. Yeah. And Fox as well. And, and then you'll see um, the Pac-12 try to make a deal with ESPN when their rights comes up. Um, ESPN also can – or the SEC can go to ESPN and get more money if they see the Big Ten break the $400 million level that the SEC is just under right now. Right. Um, and that's because now the SEC, since that negotiation, added Oklahoma and Texas. If they add other teams, which eventually I think they will, I think it'll be Miami, I think it'll be Florida State. Um, I could even see North Carolina going over at some point. Um you know, it, it's those kind of things we'll see, and that'll help expand those. In the end, we're going to come down to four conferences. It's going to be some shell of what is now the SEC, what is now the Big Ten, what is now the Pac-12, and then one other conference, which is going to be something of the ACC. Like the Big 12 ACC leftovers. Yeah, it's going to be the leftovers. And they're not going to get as good a deal. They're going to be on Fox and FS1. Um, you know, there'll be the late night game on ESPN or ESPN2. You know, it'll be that kind of thing. Because these other conferences are going to expand. And the Big 12 and the ACC are going to get picked apart when it's all said and done. You know, now, the Big 12 was smart when they went and got new teams. They went for geographic, and they went for major cities. Right. And that was smart. So I think they have a better chance of surviving the Big 12 than the ACC does, especially since ACC is built around basketball. And in the last few years, their basketball teams, Duke, North Carolina, the two big ones, have lost their big-time coaches. Right. Coach K is retiring. Roy Williams is already retired. We're not seeing as much of the cachet. Ratings are down in college basketball. So, I mean, I think that's part of it. Well, and, you know, the, the SEC, you know, their only competition in that region, you know, is the ACC, and, yeah. and they're not even really competition. But when you see the ACC intentionally stick it to the SEC and avoid playoff expansion, you know, lead the charge against expansion of the SEC's ideas and such. If you're Greg Sankey, why would you not retaliate and say, fine, we're going to go take your best teams. You do this to us, let's go ahead and just kill your league right now. Like Absolutely. The ACC should be on their hands and knees begging the SEC for mercy and, you know, for, and, and just, to, just to stay alive. I mean, they should have been saying, okay, SEC, if you want expansion, we're going to help you out. What, what, what do you need? What can we do to help you out? I mean, yeah. because the SEC – is holding on to the ACC's life by a threat. Yeah, the ACC should have said, we'll allow expansion, we'll be in for expansion. We need a guarantee that our champion gets in. We need a guarantee that any team that finishes in the top 10 gets in. And past that, we're good. Give us the money. Because they're going to need the money as well. If they don't have the money, 
that the SEC, the Big 12, or the Big 10, I'm sorry, the Big 10, and then the Pac-12 will have. The best thing that happened to the Pac-12 this year was USC getting Lincoln Riley. They're going to be back. And a big-time USC makes them a big-time um, a big time target for these networks. That's the second biggest market. And USC is the real professional team of LA, not the Rams, not the Chargers. It's USC. So I, yeah, the ACC is not just the redheaded stepchild, but they're the redheaded stepchild that's living in an orphanage. Yeah. Yeah. And they should not be trying to take a fight with the SEC because the SEC so easily can walk in there and say, what's it going to cost you to get out of there? No problem. We can pay it. Because as they expand the, con- the, the conference, the contract with ESPN expands. Right. And it's going to be more money. And it, you can't go to, you can go to Miami. You can go to Florida State. You can go to North Carolina. I mean, you can go to Clemson. You, the, the SEC could take Clemson, North Carolina, Florida, Florida State, become a 20-team conference. And they've already got built-in rivals ready to go. Florida and Florida, Florida State in Miami have Florida. North Carolina and Clemson would have South Carolina already there. You've got rivals already. You don't have to worry about what you're leaving. No one's going to be no, – no one stays up late to want to watch a Duke-North Carolina football game. And as much as college basketball is fun and – well, I'm not, not my biggest thing. We talked about, we're talking about my pod this week, but that does not have the cachet or the money that football draws. Right. And that's what's important moving forward. The team, the conferences that don't understand that are the ones who are going to lose out. The right. ACC doesn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's well put and uh, said as far as that goes uh, on, uh, on that front there. And, you know, the the SEC, when I look at this league, too, something to keep in mind, the Oklahoma and Texas news, the only reason why Oklahoma and Texas even signed the dotted line this offseason was because Texas A&M got a hold of it and leaked the news. They were going to keep that under wraps for at least another year or two. Yeah. And once the news got out there, like, okay, it's out there. We got to take care of this. As far as we know, Florida State, Miami, Clemson, I don't know. They could have a deal in place that just hasn't been unraveled yet. There might be some stuff going on behind the scenes yeah. that just hasn't been leaked. I mean, A&M got that out there because they they were trying to stop it from happening. Who knows if if uh, there's something already in the works that we don't know about. Do you remember there was a, a round of this? You may be a little too young to remember this, but I guess about eight years ago when we had this first round of – Teams were going to move around. And when it was going to happen to the Big 12 was a big deal because it was teams are – the SEC is coming, the Big 10 is coming for teams. It was when Nebraska left, when Missouri left. And it was saying, okay, well, now we got to hold on to teams. So, like, Kansas was going to help Kansas State stay in. You know, and then they, the argument in the ACC, the same kind of things was going to happen was, well, North Carolina will protect Duke and NC State. Those dealers are null and void now. Texas didn't protect anybody, and Oklahoma didn't protect Oklahoma State when they had a chance. They said, no, 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 no. They realized what this is about. Look, college football is a business. 
it just flat out is. It's professional sports. And now with the NIL, the players are now getting their part, which I'm glad the players are getting their part. They certainly deserve it. So the idea of the rah-rah part of it is how we become fans of certain teams. But that's not what this is anymore. This is professional sports. And it isn't, we're going to hold on to this, this this rah-rah rival. We've got to have this. It's why Notre Dame's going to go by the wayside in this as well. At some yeah. point. Uh, yeah. Notre thing. Dame has to go to the Big Ten. Last thing before we uh, wrap up here. USFL just had its draft. Yeah. They're going to start play in April. They're back. Um, the XFL announced a partnership, but they're not playing this year. Looks like they'll be back next year. Um I've been wanting spring football to work for a long time. I've given this thing a shot. I hope it succeeds with one of these leagues someday. With the moves we've seen in the last couple of weeks, do you think either one of them made some good moves? Is this sustainable? Do you think one of these leagues is, is going to work out? And granted, from what you've seen, and it's a small sample size, I get that. We haven't seen – you know, the, this will be the third version of the XFL, the second version of the USFL. We haven't seen them on the field yet. But which one do you think, or maybe even both, is likely to make this work? What do you like from either one of these leagues in their recent moves? The XFL made the best move. The best move was tying in with the NFL. Tying in with the NFL being sort of a – they're not calling it a feeder system or a minor league, but they're saying, I saw the, the piece where they're saying the XFL is going to be sort of the, the place to, to, look, to look at rules and look at rule changes and those sort of things to test some of those ideas. Um, I think that helps the XFL. XFL 2.0 would have survived had not been for COVID. That yeah. was actually fun football. That I was agree. fun, fun football. And it was a quality product. Yeah. We're going to notice. So, USFL is going to start in April. They're going to have a monster number the first week. The first week, we're all going to watch. It's going to be really good. Well, the, the, the number will be really good. The number of the viewers will be really good. It's going to be the hardest part is going to be how do you keep viewers interested and keeping them interested in a way when it gets even harder for football because in April, May, or even early June, that's summertime. We're out doing summertime stuff, you know, and and especially in places like the Midwest or the Southeast, where we get our fill of football, you know, starting in September. And it goes all the way till, you know, in, in, in fact, about two weeks ago. It's going to be difficult. But if they keep a good product on the field and they have the right partnerships, I think the XFL was smart to partner with the NFL. The USFL was smart in partnering with um, Fox. I believe it's Fox and NBC, correct? Yes. To get those partners. If those games are on Fox or NBC, FS1's fine. But if NBC starts sending them to USA Network or their other sci-fi channel or whatever, it's in the Comcast networks over there, MSNBC, they're going to reduce the number of viewers and the quality the product's not even going to look like a quality product. It's got to be on NBC. It's okay to have it on Peacock. It's okay for Fox to put it on. What is Fox streaming? What's it? Tubi? Tubi, yeah. Tubi. It's okay to have it there. 
Um, you know, if I were those companies, I'd make it free to watch on those streaming services. I'd make it free to watch all the XF, all the USFL games on, on, um, on Peacock or on, if you have some kind of a free version, I don't know exactly how that version works. They have a free version of Peacock. Oh, I believe so. Yes. Okay. Put it on the free version of Peacock and on NBC only. As soon as they try to get it to like, like do the Olympic coverage and put it on MSNBC and CNBC and, um, you know, USA Network, as soon as you've done that, you've diluted the product. So the agreement would have to be, if I was the USFL, look, we don't have a whole lot of teams. You got four games a week. We've got eight teams. I want two on NBC. I want two on Fox. Whether it's two on Saturday, two on Sunday, I don't care how you do it. That's what we're going to have to do. Well, we're gonna... one thing I think about in regards to that, I mean, in TV deals and such, you know, Mike Florio put out a report this week, and, you know, I, I think Florio's a dumbass sometimes. I don't know. Take this take this what you will. But Florio reported that Sunday ticket in its next TV contract could go as high as $7 billion. I don't think that's realistic, but – it certainly is eye-popping. Um, with that said, though, the NFL stayed away from cable television for the most part. You know, even the stuff that's been on NFL Network the past few years, for the most part, has been simulcast on Fox. You know, ESPN, yes, they've had Monday Night Football for the last decade plus, but how many games are on ABC now? Um, yeah. You know, the, the Sunday ticket package very well could have been – dead and they could have said you know what we're going to put all these games on cable and everybody's going to be able to see every game and that may have been great for a period of time but now as we see where cable's going and such at the end of the day if given the choice okay would you rather pay to watch every game but have to pay for a cable package or pay to watch every game and you have it on a streaming service that has sunday ticket whether that be prime or apple tv in the future I think about nine out of 10 people much rather see the Sunday ticket package be available on a streaming service. I mean, the future, whether it's the USFL, XFL, Sunday ticket, whatever it may be, it's in streaming. It's not in cable television. Yeah. The smartest thing, I see where you're going two ways here. I'm going to talk about two different ways here. One, the smartest thing the NFL ever did was when they used to have Sunday night football on TN, or the deals on TBS back in the day, yeah. they got it moved to ESPN. Now, at that time, Monday night football was on ABC. Right. When Sunday night football went to NBC, Monday night football got moved to ESPN. Now, I'll set ESPN aside when it comes to cable companies. I'll explain why in a second. The thing that was smart that whether it was before Goodell, so this would have been um, the previous commission. Yeah, smartest thing was he kept all the games on over-the-air television where you could see those games, your local game. Whether it was regionalized or not did not matter. If you live in Kansas City, you don't care what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are doing. You don't care about the game in Seattle. You care about your team. You would be able to put them on CBS, NBC, it was a huge deal when Fox came along and got the NFC package, but it was still over-the-air TV. It was not cable. And the reason ESPN is different is that if you walk into any bar in the United States, what's on the TVs? ESPN. 
ESPN. That's the default of every bar in America is ESPN. So and even then that okay wasn't good that enough. Goodell had to yeah. tell ESPN, if you're going to have a playoff game, you got to put it on ABC. ABC. It's got to be, we got to top. Yeah, we got to get it because it made it big time. Once you start hiding it and it makes it difficult to find, someone like you, someone like me, we're going to find the game if it's on MSNBC or if it's on the USA Network. We'll find the game we want to watch. But the regular Joe, the 55-year-old guy that he likes his Chiefs and he'll watch a game if it happens to be on, he'll turn on NBC and watch the game. He'll turn on CBS and watch the Saturday after, Sunday afternoon game. But he's not going to go hunting for the game unless it's his team. So it, it made a certain, it gave a certain value to the NFL. That's why I say it's important for the USFL. If they don't have a partnership with the NFL. It's going to be important to maintain the value of those games. Now we talk about the streaming deals and NFL Sunday ticket. I'll give you my personal example. I live in a city here in Lawrence, Kansas, where I do not get to see the team I grew up watching which is, again, we know, the New Orleans Saints. For 13 years, I was a direct TV customer just so I could get NFL Sunday tickets so I could watch the Saints every week. I decided two years ago I was not paying that bill anymore. It was cheaper for me to go to the bar and watch games. Frankly, we had, you know, six to six to eight games a year that were going to be on Sunday night football or Monday night football or the, the Fox game of the week. You know, when you had a good team, you could do that. So it's like, okay, great. I'll see half of them at home anyway. The other half, I'll go out and go watch at a bar. But you're right now. If let's say it's Amazon, which I think is the likely destination for stream for the, for the NFL Sunday ticket, it makes a lot of sense. Whether they put it on Prime or make it their own package, I would imagine they make it their own package. A lot better to pay that one fee than to pay an ongoing cable fee every single month just so that you can get the access to that package when it comes out. I think that's a smart thing to do. MLB already did it with, with their package. MLB did it so smart two years ago, and they started doing their streaming with MLB Network and the stuff they do with streaming. You pay, I think it's $99 a year for your team or $110, $109 for your team, but it's only $149 for all teams. So... If you're a streamer, if you're someone who's willing to do that, Sunday tickets gonna do the same thing. You'll be able to get all the games on the NFL Sunday and the Red Zone channel. And you'll pay a fee that's gonna be probably two or three hundred dollars. But it's so much better than trying to buy it through just that one place, which was direct TV back in the day. Yeah. And, and now until the next season. Yeah, I think that. The, the way you value your, whether it's your company, your, your teams in this case, how you value your product speaks a lot to how you're going to, how you're going to be rewarded with these contracts. The NFL is done the best job of everybody. It's whether their, their sport is easy to watch, but it's also, they've done such a great job of maintaining value. It's the number one thing any business can do. They've done it better than everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Go find it. Go find an NBA game that's not on ESPN. You know, it, it might be on TNT, it might be on TBS. That's still hard to find. CBS owns those. CBS owns TNT and TBS. If the NBA was on ESPN and CBS, it'd be a hell of a lot better for the NBA. 
just yeah. an example. I mean, that's someone who devalued their business in a way because they allowed it to go to, to TNT and TBS. Yeah. Um, well, actually, uh, Viacom is a CBS's parent. Uh, Turner's still owned by AT&T, about to go to Discovery. Uh, oh, that's right. You're right. You're right about that. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the point is valid there. But, Bo, we're out of time. Uh, appreciate yeah. you, as always. Check yeah, out the you. Coach Bono's podcast out every Monday and Friday on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Also, check out O'Connor Advisor Group, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com as well. Well, appreciate the time as always. We'll catch up. My pleasure. Thanks, Tyler. You have a good week. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. Let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. You heard some NBA discussion earlier when uh, we had uh, Jared Sutton on as uh, he was talking about what's going on with uh, his team, the Pelicans, and their playoff push and such. But we kind of want to elaborate that a bit. And I want to start with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, You bring in – former all-star uh, Dragic this past week. We also hear that New York might be ending their COVID restrictions, which could mean that the unvaccinated Kyrie Irving could be back to full-time status very soon. And you're bringing in Ben Simmons. That trade has uh, been completed. And so now, all of a sudden, the Nets look like a whole different team overnight in a very quick stretch here. You move on from James Hart. You bring in Ben Simmons, obviously, but getting Kyrie at a full-time basis, Dragic, who has had a very good career and still has some mileage left in him. You know, Tom, I feel like, you know, we were talking about the Nets and we were saying they still weren't title contenders as of last week. But these couple things that have changed, these are big changes, and it certainly helps the Nets on that front. But I'm not ready to bite that bullet just yet. You know, last year, all season long, it was like, well, just wait till they get together. Wait, wait till they get healthy and you know, put all the pieces together. And the pieces never fully came together. It was still um, you know, missing some puzzle pieces even when we thought things were, were fixed. And this year, now we're getting close when it looks like, okay, these are the Nets as they are. But I, I feel like I've been fooled once already. I'm not going to completely sell my soul to this Nets team uh, by any stretch because we've seen this before with this. Yeah, I'm not going to sell I'm, I'm selling this right now until they can prove I'm not a believer in this team. I think it's too late in the season to get the pieces all together for a playoff run. I mean, they're going to make the playoffs, sure, um, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not buying their. Shit, honestly, I'm really not. Um, you know, I like the addition that they made. I, I think James Harden's more of toxic than than people like to lead on some people call him the most toxic of i'll be like well he wasn't the problem but, uh, you know eh, i think he was the problem and I, I think they made the right move in trading him um but at the, at the same time i i just don't know you know ben simmons mm, i'm not sure he just doesn't move the needle for me uh he hasn't played all season he's not He's not in the right mind. I mean, he's he's in the right mind, sure, whatever. He doesn't he doesn't do it for me. And 
I, I would not be the I would not be the first to not pick the net, be the last either, because I'm not the only one that shares this opinion. But I, I don't think the Nets are ready yet. Give them another year, um, if if that's what it takes. Uh, if they if they have it all together, then then sure. Um, you know, next year if this this remains the same, then you know, sure, I'll be comfortable picking them. Um, be more comfortable picking them maybe this year to make the finals than the Grizzly making the finals. But um, I'm I'm not picking them to win this year. I'm just not. That sounds like a dangerous take. Yeah, yeah, I I, I totally understand that. You know. I still like this Milwaukee Bucks team uh, with Giannis and company to be Man, the favorites solid in the East. Too. Yeah, I mean, you should be. They're solid. Here's why I like the Bucks right now, and I think you'll agree with me on this. You know, the Sixers have been a mess with this whole Simmons deal, and now you're bringing James Harden. But I still think there's some instability within that organization. Um, any organization led by Daryl Morey is not going to be a, uh, a ship that's going to sail smooth. Um, and Doc Rivers on that note, too, both those guys. Now, the Brooklyn situation we mentioned, you know, the, the problems they have there, all of this is going on. All the air has been sucked out of in the Eastern Conference, what is happening in Brooklyn and what is happening in Philadelphia. While the Milwaukee Bucks are still the defending champions, still with the best player in the world, and have been doing their thing. I mean, I like consistency. I like things that, uh, you know, that you've seen work before and that you can go back and be tried and true. To me, I like that things are quiet right now in Milwaukee. They're not making the noise. They're not doing what these other two franchises are doing. They're focused on basketball, the team that they have there. Um, that's a championship mindset. That's what, what Milwaukee's got going right now. They they got something going right. And, and uh, you know, with, with things being quiet, that, that feels good for me. I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, I mean, they're playing good basketball. They're playing consistent basketball. Um, they have a solid coach. And and nothing's really changed up for them, um, which, you know, sometimes a, a lot of these teams will make a midseason trade, um, you know, to build chemistry for the next year. And I'm not saying necessarily that's the Nets' goal. I think their goal, obviously, is to to win one this year, sure. Um, but with the consistency that the Bucks have shown, I, I mean, I'm taking them out of these. It, you'd be hard-pressed to, to find a whole lot of people – that wouldn't take the box over the nets. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, I think you, you, you got a good point there. Um, looking at the NBA standings here, you know, Tom, I've heard from folks say that, you know, the Eastern Conference is so much better than the Western Conference. And to me, I'm like, well, what are you talking about here? I know that, you know, historically speaking, We've had the opposite conversation about how much better the West has looked compared to the East, so much so that they've even considered playing, changing the playoff format to just the top 16 teams and forgetting about conferences, which I still think would be a better idea. But nonetheless, when you look at the Eastern Conference right now, Miami has the one seed, and Chicago's right there at number two. 
Philadelphia at three, Cleveland at four, Milwaukee at five, Boston six, Toronto seven, and uh, Brooklyn with that number eight spot right now. And, you know, the team that you and I like, that Milwaukee Bucks team, five seed, um, they're only two games out of first. They could have that one seed by this time next week. Um, it's very close there. But the Western Conference, Phoenix at 48 and 10 has been unbelievable this year. Golden State, 42 and 17. Memphis at 41 and 19. The top three teams in the Western Conference all have better records than anyone in the Eastern Conference. The East has more depth, but the West is better in the top part. They're more top heavy than the Eastern Conference is. So when you look at that Western Conference, Tom, um, Phoenix to me is the team to beat, but a team that I know they're a little ways back, but I think could could get hot and could make some noise. I'm not rolling out the Denver Nuggets at that sixth spot. That's a team that I think could surprise some people and could go on a run here. What say you? What do you think of the West right now? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Denver – I mean, hell, last year, remember, last year we are talking about, well, if Denver didn't have an injury to Mold Murray, uh, we might be, you know, speaking a different language. Um, so, I, I, I wouldn't doubt them. It, it does seem like Phoenix is on a mission, though. Um, and, you know, Golden State, after being down and out for a couple of years, seems like they have something to prove. Um, you're right about the West being top-heavy. The East, you know, like I said, you, you mentioned Milwaukee's only two games at the first. Uh, you know, top five or six is so like convoluted in, in terms of anything can happen uh, very quickly. Um, so I, I think for the first time, which seems in forever, the East has has mounted a, a response to the Western dominance. And yeah. God, it seemed like it's been forever. You know, right. sure, an Eastern teams want it, but it's usually one or two teams in the East um, that really have a chance with everyone else being bottom tier. A lot of those, it seemed like forever, a lot of the bottom tier Eastern teams wouldn't even sniff the Western Conference playoffs. There were teams in the West that had missed the playoffs that would have been like the fifth seed in the East. Right. So, you know, finally, maybe a little bit more parity. I don't know if you want to call it that or not, but. Finally, the East is actually being reputable um, in, in terms of bringing some heat to the table. Um, so the East playoffs this year is going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, um, because each, each matchup is going to be a, a toss-up. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, in regards to the MVP race, Jokic and Embiid seem to be the favorites. And what I find fascinating about that, Tom, is that if you asked anybody out there who the best player in the NBA is, almost nobody's going to say Jokic or Embiid. You know, they're going to say Giannis, Durant, LeBron, Steph. Um, Isn't it fascinating that Jokic, who really nobody talks about, in a couple of months, we could be talking about being a two-time MVP and still not getting the respect. I mean, what is that? What, what do you make of why that a guy like Jokic, or even Embiid in this case, you know, is up for MVP consideration, but we don't talk about them as being one of the top, you know, three players in the league. How does this happen? 
Well, Jones, you know, it's, it's when we were growing up, it was a center's league. It's not a center's league anymore. It's not a big man league anymore. And I think that's a lot of why you see, you know, sure they're up for consideration. They're putting up hell of incredible historic numbers. Um, but but we're kind of laughing at them in terms of, you know, well, I would take them, but I'd only trade them for, you know, maybe if, if my team wanted to trade, I might trade them for a couple lower end pieces and maybe one first round pick. Um, which arguably they should be going for the King's ransom. And, and I think a lot of that's because the game has changed. You can thank Steph Curry from that uh, mainly. Uh, it's not a bad thing. I just think, you know, if you wanted to blame someone for, for making it not a center's league anymore, then you, you would take Steph Curry example A1. Um, you know, it's a, it's a guards league now. Um, it's, you know, you, the days of the Shaq dominance being bigger than you in the paint and dunking on you, those are done, all right, at least for now. Right. It might get back to that, but well, it doesn't take away how from how great Joel Embiid and, and Jokic are, though. Right, but, okay, along the, that same sentiment, though. Okay, let's just play a scenario here. If Jokic is a two-time MVP at the end of this year, why would we not consider him one of the top three players in the world when he – I mean, if he wins the MVP back-to-back years, the most valuable player in the league, why would, he, why would he not get that consideration? I don't understand. He would have done his job and then some. Um, to me, uh, there's a disconnect here. I mean, if, if he's not the best – one of the best three players, then why aren't these other guys – you know, like the Giannis's, the Durant's. I know in Durant's case, he hasn't been healthy. You know, he's been hurt and such. But, you know, the LeBron, Steph, you know, those guys, if they're so much better, if they're the group the crop, why are they not the ones winning the MVPs? Well, I mean, you, you want to think about it. You know, Jokic, you take him off the Nuggets. What are the Nuggets? The Nuggets are a, a playing team at best. You take Giannis. Uh, off the Bucks, the Bucks might in the East might be an eight or a play-in team. Um, you know, you take beat off the Sixers. I I think they still could make some noise with a you know swap a big man. Take Joel Embiid and swap him for Jakob Pertle of the Spurs. Uh, kind of saying uh, you know not doesn't score as much, but pretty big defensively. Uh, you know, I, I think. Most valuable player, maybe not the best player in the league or top three, but maybe most valuable to their team. You know, it's hard to explain that. And and I think it's the I think it's the media hype. You know, we want to see a lot of points. We want to see some flash. Uh, you know, and Jokic is not, in my eyes, flashy at all, right? Doesn't make a lot of noise. He's got two brothers that'll kick your ass. Um, which I I the last person I would fight, I think Joel Embiid before I would fight Nikola Jokic. Uh, if, you know, if I had to pick, I wouldn't want to fight either of them. But, uh, you know, I, Jokic's not flashy. He does score quite a bit, but he, I mean, he makes some crazy passes. He doesn't seem not, flashy to me, though. He's not going to be on the cover of 2K next year. No. I mean, he's, he's even less flashy than Joel Embiid because Joel Embiid, you know, makes more news. But he, Joel Embiid's a shit talker, but he – he does it so in a fashion that I think is brilliant. But, um, you know, I, it, it's the, I think it's part of the flash factor. I think that that really inspires quite a bit of it. Do you think um, Jokic, Tom, is 
like the, the Tim Duncan of this era in the sense, let me finish here, in the sense of he is a great all-time player, but because he's not a talker, because he's not an attention seeker and that he's a big, that he doesn't get, you know, that recognition he deserves in that sense. Like, I always thought Tim Duncan was a better player than Kobe Bryant, that he had a better career than Kobe. But because Kobe was Kobe, you know, there's probably, you know, more people that like Kobe better than, than Tim Duncan. And I'm like, well, if you're a real basketball enthusiast, you know, a smart basketball fan knows that Tim Duncan is better than Kobe Bryant. Um, in Jokic's case, I think the smart basketball people know that he's an all-time great. But the uh, the fanboys, you know, the, the blogger boys of the world, if you want to call them that, uh, aren't giving him the credit he deserves. Well, you know, you think about it. We mentioned Embiid and we mentioned Jokic. Look at the markets they're in. You know, Denver, not obviously a huge market, and nobody really pays attention, in my eyes, to Denver as a basketball city. You talk about Philly, sure, there's been greats like Allen Iverson, and, you know, there's been memes about trust the process. But when you think about basketball cities, you know, Philly's not one of the first, you know, cities that, that come up. You know, I think it's funny, Jones, when we talk about this basketball conversation and you, you mentioned why aren't Jokic – why isn't Jokic and MB getting the respect that, that I think they deserve? Look at look at Anthony Davis's bitch ass. He's getting hella play. And he isn't – you know, for you know for whatever's considered, he's, he's not been near the player that Jokic and Embiid has been even the last two years. Uh, but he's getting all the play, and it's because of big market like L.A. He's getting the flashy. He's on the Lakers, Showtime Lakers with LeBron. You know, you could even say, you know, the Knicks. Julius Randle's been getting some decent amount of play last year. Rightfully so. The Knicks had a great season. This year, they're, you know, the Knicks are already saying, well, we might even put a package together for Julius Randle uh, to, to trade away. Um you know, and I, I think if Jokic was in L.A. or Jokic was in a bigger market, we'd be talking a lot more about him, even Embiid as well. You know, if Embiid was in New York, uh, we would, you know, maybe even more so. I feel like Embiid gets more play than Jokic even. Um, but I, I do really think a lot of this comes down to, and it's influenced by how big of a market you're in, how big of a showtime player you are, how much – you know, how much are you going to benefit the NBA in terms of marketing sure. yourself? Yeah, I think it's a good point. I hate that. I hate right? that. But that's what it is. Last thing, uh, we end our NBA discussion on this. Uh, the NBA All-Star game, I couldn't care about at all, um, you know, the, the 75 team and all that. I mean, that was cool, but we already knew who was on the team and such. Um, couldn't care less about All-Star Weekend. But there was one thing that did intrigue me, and that is how the All-Star game ended. They did the Elam ending, which, in case folks don't know, um, when you reach a certain point in the game, then they adjust it where the game ends when somebody reaches a certain number of points that are sent. And we see this every year in the TBT tournament. Uh, the basketball tournament, and, you know, it's exciting, and it's every game is going to end with a game-winning shot, 
it's not going to be a buzzer beater, but uh, you know, every finish is going to be exciting. You don't have the, 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 the fouling and the free throws back and forth and such. Um, you know, you're not worrying about doing things that way, but a lot of people think this is the future that maybe one day we see this in the NBA or in college basketball, Tom, what, what do you think of the Elam ending? I think it's an interesting concept. I don't think it necessarily fits the NBA or college basketball, but I, I like the idea. I like the experiment process of it. And, uh, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe down the road there's something more that comes up with it, but it's an interesting concept. I like using it in the all-star game now, and it makes it, you know, it makes it more fun. Um, and, and a lot of people took, Team LeBron, which, you know, LeBron got the dub on that game-ending shot. Uh, I thought Team LeBron was better, but, you know, for whatever it's worth, you know, what it was Team Giannis made it made it interesting. Um, it was it was right there, and, and it was close. Um, you know, they don't play any defense in that game. Um, they don't want anybody injured, and they don't want any, you know, any injuries or any anything stupid to happen. Um, but it makes it interesting, you know, it, it did look, I mean, they played great defense on LeBron the last shot. Um, and it was, it was, uh, made for it. That ending is, it's made for TV, right? You know, I, I think for the most part, it's, it's a made for TV type thing. Um, and if they use that in the NBA going forward, you take these lower scoring teams, if they had it set, you know, first one, 115, uh, some of these teams, it, it, it might take the games might last a little bit longer um, than what it is. And, you know, the overall scoring of the league has went up considerably. If you, if you remember the, like the 0405 finals with the Spurs and the Pistons, those finals games ended in, it was like scores like 89 to 84, or I think even one of them was like 84 to like 76. You would never see that now. Um, and I don't know if that's because I, I, I can tell you what it is. It, we talked about it just a little bit ago. It's the Steph Curry effect. It's the three ball has become more important than ever. If you can't shoot the three, um, you won't survive in this league. Uh, that, and that's just what it is. Uh, you, you see more, you know, we talk about moving away from the big man, big man's less needed. You usually have one solid. You're not going to see a twin towers like a Duncan Robinson, um, maybe not ever again, but for some time, um, the three-point shot is more more important than it's ever been. And if that's, you're going to have you know, twin towers, they both better be able to shoot from outside. Pretty much. Yeah, they better be stretch fours, right? Um, you know, it, it, that's what it comes down to, and that's because the scoring has in, uh, reflected that uh, over the last 15 years. Yeah. Um, the Elam ending, I don't know where it fits beyond – the TBT or all-star games, but I do like the concepts to an extent. One thing you mentioned about the, the scoring going up and all this, the, the thing that that holds me back on the whole idea of the Elam ending, Tom, is that um, it doesn't value defense in the sense of that, okay, you're going to have to score and in the game at this point. Well, I mean – I like the process of, you know, just letting it play out. I mean, you're kind of forcing scoring to happen at that point. You're not rewarding, you know, good defense, essentially. You know, a, a team uh, in the Elam ending, I think a team that 
uh, is a high-scoring team is going to have an advantage there as opposed to a team in the current situ- you know, situation where maybe you're not a great scoring team, but you're a great defensive team, and you're trying to work the clock and run it out and such. Um, that, that's a disadvantage. Uh, it, it favors the style of play uh, as far as I'm concerned. I, that's what holds me back on the evil ending. Yeah, I agree with that too. And, and, you know, like you mentioned that, and, and I think once you're up by a considerable amount, if you're, you know, if it's, if it was, let's say you, you see it all the time, if it's fourth quarter with, you know, five minutes to play and you're up by 15 uh, and, and one team is kind of thrown in the towel and the other team is kind of saying, okay, well, they've ra- waved the white flag. Let's get some of these bench players some experience. I think that might eventually take away some of the bench experience. And, and at that point, you keep your star players in to hurry up and hit that benchmark set just to end the game. Right, right. I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. Uh, great point there. So – there you have it. That's our look around uh, the NBA this week here on the Jones Report. Final segment before we wrap up today's show. Time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. Thomas Bridges is standing by with something happening ridiculous in the world. Tom, where shall we head out to this time? Jones, we're going to Mormon County, Utah. We are going to Brigham Young. Bravo! Uh, right? And, and I, I didn't expect this to come from there. Uh, I mean, I guess... This sounds like a drunk experiment that I might do. Um, but, you know, with no alcohol on campus, maybe not here. I don't, I don't know what is going on in Brigham Young, but this comes from USA Today. Uh, this was two days ago published by, like I said, USA Today. Reads, a college student tried to make homemade rocket fuel on his stove. Uh, and it exploded into a fireball, Jones. More than 20 students at Brigham Young University were displaced this weekend. After a student tried to make rocket fuel on a stove in a student housing unit, and then it exploded into a fireball, police said. The science experiment gone wrong occurred Sunday afternoon at the university in Provo. The BYU Police Department said the fire alarm went off in the housing unit around 4.30 p.m., and firefighters quickly put out the fire. An investigation found a 22-year-old student making homemade rocket fuel on a stove when it exploded. The flames from the explosion had engulfed the walls and ceiling around the stove and intense heat tripped the fire sprinkler system, the department said in a Facebook post. In a follow-up post, police said the fireball resulted in extensive damage to the building and 22 students living near the unit have been relocated so the building could be cleaned and repaired. No injuries were reported. Uh, BYU Police Department, their Facebook post started out with, in quotes, Rocket Man. On a Sunday afternoon, about 4.30, BYU police officers and Provo firefighters responded to a fire alarm at Heritage Hall Building 4. Upon arrival, they found the fire sprinklers had been activated and were flooding the main floor. The subsequent investigation revealed that a resident had been making homemade rocket fuel on the stove when the volatile mixture suddenly exploded into a fireball. The flames from the explosion engulfed the walls and ceiling around the stove. Uh, They show it. Uh, it does look like parts of the surrounding area are burned, especially the floor. Uh, they said it is clear that the situation had been, could have been much worse. We are grateful that no one was injured. We urge students to be aware of circumstances around them and consider how their actions have the potential to affect not just themselves, but others as well. 
Please keep your experiments in the lab and supervised by trained professionals. BYU Lieutenant Jeff Long told CNN two people were in the unit when the fire began. One of those has been interviewed by police. The resident is not facing charges, but Long said the case will be sent to a prosecutor to determine whether charges will be filed once the investigation is complete. Jones, I like this article. I like this article. This is some stupid shit I would have done, but not at 22. I would have done this at like 14 or 15. Um, it I doesn't say what the motive is. What are you doing? What What is your plan for this this uh, homemade rocket fuel? That's you know, so many times you get the I, hell you know, out of Provo. I mean, maybe that's what I'm, you know, maybe that's what it is. But why, like, why do you need to make homemade rocket fuel? What is your plans for this rocket fuel? And, and why are you making it on the stove? This sounds like a meth story covered up. Sounds like they were making meth and, and BYU said, you know what? We don't want to be known as a methamphetamine school. And everybody else on the, on the police department said, yeah better not let's just say he was making rocket fuel to get to uh you know the mormon planet that they talk about now i'm, I'm uh, you know i'm gonna get i'm gonna get the backlash for that but I, still what are you making rocket fuel for what are you even making it with where are you getting the shit to make it what are you doing cooking it on the stove right i need some more background like and not to mention no injuries. This amounted into a what they call not just a fire, but a fireball. Uh, I know you like fireball, Jones. Um, but not this kind. The guy did not get hurt, but it, it amounted to a fireball. When I think of fireball, have you ever seen the uh, videos of the grapes put in the microwave? They cut yes. them in half. That's what I'd imagine a fireball could be. But this is on a bigger scale. This is in a pot, you know. 100 times the size of a grape. If this amounted to the fireball, how was the guy not cooking the shit hurt? <laughs> you know? I mean, is, uh, I want to see his eyebrows where they singed off. I mean, we need to we need the interview with this guy to say, "Hey, what you know, what are you if you if you made the rocket fuel, if you got it to a certain point where it was actually rocket actually rocket fuel, what were your plans here?" Right? Yeah. Like that's to me, what were you going to do with it? And then, like, the idea of that, you know, he was just going to make it at home on his stovetop. Like, you know, I don't know a damn thing about rocket fuel, but I can't imagine that NASA is making rocket fuel off their stovetops. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not putting that into my car. You know, if you were going to say, well, yeah, listen, gas is, gas is real high right now, so I just made my own car gasoline. No, I'm, no. Not putting, I'm not putting that gas in my car. I won't even do my own oil change. Yeah, exactly, let alone make rocket fuel on the stove. You know, did he go out and buy a pot for this, or did he use his roommate's pot? Like, you can't – once you make rocket fuel in a pot, it's not like you could probably – Cook in that pot again. Yeah, I mean, you're not like putting biscuits in there afterwards, right? I mean, li listen, I, not a whole lot of people know about Hawaii right now, but they've got a a fuel problem from the military bases that's leaking rocket fuel into the main water supply, and it's making a lot of people sick. Even if you were to make the rocket fuel, the fumes alone—not only the fumes, but the the maybe the residue that would be left or attached to the pot, you cook something else in that pot, could make you very sick. 
Like, what is the, I have to know, and I'm going to follow, you know, I always say I'm going to follow up, and, and most times I don't. I'm going to follow up on this because I want to know what's he going to do with the rocket fuel after he was done with it. Like, what are you doing with that? You got a rocket we don't know about? Right. And then, so if, if he was able to do this in his kitchen, if this was real, legit rocket fuel, wouldn't NASA want to call this guy and be like, okay, this guy's got something to figure out here. I mean, if this is legit, now I, I think you're on to something of that this was an excuse that he was actually just making meth. But if it was legit, like, this guy would be a, a badass, be a genius if he could just make that in his kitchen, right? Right, and the reason I say it's meth, like, the BYU Police Department reported, and it, it wasn't the Provo Police, so it was campus police, you know, and they put out the fire. I don't know if it was a campus fire department that put it out or, or that they went to check on it. Uh, to me, it sounds like meth. You know, it sounds like a meth lab exploded. You know, where do you usually cook meth? A lot of people say in the bathtub or the kitchen stove or something like that. Sounds like he was cooking the shit up. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to call him out on cooking up meth, but I've heard a lot of meth labs in the same way as this. I've never heard of anybody saying I was just making rocket fuel. <laughs> you know, like oh, the, you know, do you live in Miami? Do you live in Houston? Is is you guys? Is there is, is there an aerospace program at BYU? You know right. what are you what are you doing with this rocket fuel? Is this a class project? I hope not. In the kitchen. I don't know. And yeah, in the kitchen. You know, maybe maybe if it was in the bathroom, it, it would sound way worse. But you know, is is I just don't know what he had. I don't know what he had planned for this rocket fuel. You know, I think I have an idea. Here's my theory. Uh, this guy's you know, college student, obviously. They're at BYU. And we were promised, you know, years ago that we'd all have jetpacks by now and such. Maybe he was, he had figured out, uh, he thought he'd figured out a way to, you know, get a jetpack going to, to get from one class to the other. And I was making that rocket fuel home to do that. that that's the... The best conclusion I could come up with was that he uh, he was ready to travel by air from class to class and not through the hills of that BYU Provo campus. And that's the only thing I can think of, Jones. I just did look up um, BYU rocket fuel meth, and um, let's see what it has to say. I did pull up a one that mentioned meth. I'm just trying to get to the mention of it. Um. Oh, here we go. Here we go. This is some new development here. Um, you know, after they said, please keep your experiments in the labs and supervised by trained professionals. The police shared photos of the damage on social media, which prompted dozens of comments and the following question from one sharp-eyed Facebook user. But why is there a toilet in the living room? Yeah, there's a story I'm sure police responded. Others speculated the explosion might have been related to the creation of meth, to which police reside unusual as it may be. In this instance, the resident really was mixing up rocket fuel. Student responsible for the rocket fuel fireball was not publicly identified. Toilet in the living room, this sounds I, I don't give I don't care what they say. 
I do see the toilet now. It's just barely the edge of the bowl in the middle of a living room. Uh, oh, never mind. There's the picture full on of the toilet in the living room. Uh, Jones, I don't know. Uh, like I said, it's it's um, it's BYU in the uh, you know and the, the BYU police responding. There's another from uh, the Cougar Board, which is the BYU um, like, like fan form. It sounds and like it the, sounds like a dating site for BYU fans. I'm a, I'm a boy. I love the Cougar. I you know I love those type of Cougars. <laughs> but BYU BYU's Heritage Hall's rocket fuel fire. I have two questions that I'd like to know. First, do the police really think he was making rocket fuel instead of meth? Second, why is there a toilet in the living room? Um, you know, someone responded. Friends of mine had a toilet as a seat in their apartment from BYU. Uh, in Roman Garden, some girls were using a toilet as a fish tank slash seat, and someone said that's not a toilet, that's a punch bowl. I think he was cooking up some meth. Uh, I, I just listen. I've never I've seen methatola one time in my life, and I've heard a million and a half meth stories. A lot of them being from Florida. Um. And also from Oklahoma, you know, uh, I feel like I Tulsa was the meth cap. Yeah, exactly. The the green country was more like uh, blue, you know, meth country for a while, and then you know, Kansas City took that took that uh, name over for a while. But listen, I he's Jones. We can we can joke about this all he wants. That's dude. He was cooking up meth. I know it. Yeah. I'm putting, so. I'm putting a on it. It was meth. Yeah, I think you're running. Right Listen, I get that you got to save face, but that's why it's Tom Fullery. And that's a great place to end our show this week here on the Jones Sport. Big thanks to Jared Sutton for stopping by and uh, giving us the latest on uh, the NBA draft prospects and the uh, Big 12 Conference. Big thanks to Coach Bo for stopping by as well. As always, subscribe to the Jones Report. New episodes out each and every Thursday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com forward slash Studio Soapbox. Also on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at Studio underscore Soapbox. And Instagram, you can find us, Tyler Jones Live, it's Thomas, and Jones underscore Report. You can find us there. We are a part of the Studio Soapbox Network. This show out every Thursday. Let's go racing with a David Starr. Our motorsports podcast out every Wednesday. Raw Tools with Luke Schleybaugh on Tuesdays. And then Coach Bo's got you covered with Coach Bo Knows show on Mondays and Fridays. So there you have it. We will sign off on uh, this edition of Jones Sport as uh, we've been with you from Nashville today. And uh, next week, we'll bring you the final show from Omaha, Nebraska, as uh, we will say our goodbyes and uh, get on to Dallas the following week. So looking forward to that. We will see you then. Thomas Bridges and our entire crew. I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks a lot. It's been another edition of Jones. We'll see you next week.